Hey, Internet. Good morning. Just good to see you again, and I'd like to say that I have a little bit more planned for you this morning, but I don't. This last week's been fantastically weird. As you know, if you watch the news cycle, I've tried to debuckle myself from it just a tad uh, as I try to get back into real life, coming off a vacation and a move while maintaining real life, but really uh, trying to put my feet on the ground this week's been been fun. Um uh, Good news, bad news all over the place, it seems. And I don't know, I got a couple of things that come to mind to talk about, but I don't really want to focus on, on, on it that way because we're not as prepared. What I am prepared for today that should be pretty cool, and part of the reason I'm less prepared on the normal Saturday morning chill stuff is that this real world agreement that I gave into or agreed to, uh, <laughs> consented to, uh, took the workload that this morning might have gone to some other stuff for the chill, but it's part of the chill. And that is that we're going to be recording a 30 minute segment this morning geared toward the Higher Things audience for the upcoming Higher Things virtual conference. Which is, uh, I want to say gladly that they're doing it, but unfortunately that COVID, right? So because of COVID, it's being done as a virtual conference instead of as a, you know, a normal conference. So my congregation is going to have kids doing stuff on the internet uh, as opposed to being local, but, but it's going to be still really good teaching, really solid and biblically centered, liturgically centered, gospel oriented. Jesus is sufficient teaching. That's what Higher Things does. Um, I don't know how they're going to handle the hymn singing, but I'm sure they've got something planned. That's always been a big part of what Higher Things is as well. In any case, I've been honored and asked to, to be asked to do one of the breakout sessions for this. And we're going to give some time to that this morning. But because of everything else in the world, I didn't get this shot even looked at before it happened and the shadows and the lights. I had to redo the whole room last week. I'm in the exact same place that I was and the camera is not quite in the same place that it was pretty close, but I moved like so much of the space. I, I, I can't even describe it. A desk that formerly was an eight by four and was like that way right here is now way over there and like this. And it's now the main pin. You don't, you don't need to know any of that, but it, it I did not have the chance to finish my, uh, my final touches on, on this. And so we got to do a little bit of this here just as the start of the show is happening. Um, I can start talking about other stuff though, and then I'll, I'll give you the, a couple of cool pieces about the higher things thing. We, we won't do that at least until late later in this hour. Um, and we got a bunch of questions from you, of course. We got the grab bag; it's all set up. That's there. We'll be doing that today. Uh, that's your sidebar comments, uh, super chats. Of course, always get a little bit of attention. Well, not always. Sometimes get a little bit of attention and get pulled in right off uh, off the bat. Whatever you want to talk about. Um, but uh, the thing that I found most. Uh, most confusing this week, aside from my own chaos, of course, is masks, which I thought was a subtle thing about a week ago. And, and I still think it kind of should be the way we just, I don't know, at least in my locality, it doesn't make any sense for us not to do it since they've asked us to do it fairly nicely. It's not, I mean, it's, it's been required, but... Um, and, and at least at one point, the science from some scientists seemed to be saying that it really, it really made a difference. And so it made sense that we all would do this. And, and I still think that, you know, I'm with Ben Shapiro on this one, though, that, that that does make sense. But then you have these other arguments on the other side saying it doesn't make any sense. And, and Shapiro, yesterday, his first 10 minutes on COVID is really worth listening to, even if you don't like Shapiro. Um, 
And he, but he acknowledges like there's this other argument against masks that exists out there and it's gaining steam. And what does that mean? Right. Um, and what's most scary then is that what it means is we shout at each other like Republicans and Democrats whenever we talk about the, whether or not we should wear masks in public as humans in our neighborhood. And that's really not healthy, right? That the, the devolving of the you and me conversation at the supermarket into what they've been showing as propaganda uh, on the, on the, the the, the, on the tabloid brainwashing tube, uh, it, it really is not helpful to any of us. What we need to be able to do is have someone say, I think masks are made by Satan himself in a dark corner and all who wear them have maggots in their ears. And you're like, that's okay, man, but we're still going to wear masks. And you know, cool, I'm going to walk away from you right now. Like, like that would be a much better kind of way of approaching it than some sort of moral vigor that leads to actual hate in practice. So one of the other things that really struck me is how Charles Barkley had the audacity to say, how can you stop hate with hate? And of course, is getting called every racial slur that apparently some black men feel is their right to use against other black men when those other black men have, I don't know, independent thoughts. It's really a strange shunning, I don't know, uh, Marxist, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing to watch. Chuck, of all people, the guy who says the most obtuse things from time to time, and that's part of why we've loved him. It's what's made TNT so good. Because TNT is not very good at much else, I gotta say, but that crew in Cadre, it lives on Chuck being Chuck. And and he's this is a guy who spit on people, spit on a little girl, I think, if I recall. Might have been a guy, he aimed for a guy, hit a little girl. Like, this is in the 80s, right, on, on national TV. I have forgiven him for that, and I'm amazed at how how wise this guy is. He's not the firebrand he was, and he comes out and he says, how can hate stop hate? And that's what he gets excoriated by, or for by, by his own. I mean, what is that about? African-American community of intellectual enlightened people? What is that about? I don't know. I can't speak to it. I'm not from among you, but I think that's really strange. One of your icons, your own icons. Was he racist? I mean, I, I don't understand. And why are you not calling out your own then on this? If I saw a white guy using that kind of language toward a black guy, I, I think I might get in his face. Do <laughs> back off, man. You know, like, like, what is this? So you want self-policing, right? The world wants self-policing to fund the police. Mayor de Blasio says, hey, it's going to all you need is love. Clap along while they die in the streets and poop everywhere. Right. I mean, OK, fine. Fine. I still want to protect your right to believe that, by the way. I just think it's odd that you you think this is somehow my fault. <laughs> right? As I, now, I don't know the guy who everybody knows who didn't get fired, who came out and really was clear about his, his racist beliefs as an African-American man in enlightened Hollywood culture and society, saying that white people are naturally evil, that I think he said Jews are naturally evil, um, that there's no avoiding this. This is the Louis Farrakhan kind of stuff. If you don't know the Louis Farrakhan, he's been around a long time. The Nation of Islam, uh, if you haven't watched Malcolm X, uh, you should probably watch the movie Malcolm X with Denzel Washington, a thinking black Christian, by the way. Um, I don't agree with him on everything, but he's worth listening to sometimes because he's not an idiot. Uh, he's like Charles Barkley. He's like, oh, that guy said really smart stuff a moment ago. You should listen to Denzel. Anyway, not always, but um, he, uh, Malcolm X, he's in Malcolm X. It's a great movie about a historical event and a actual protest for civil rights that achieved something in this country, which was unity. And while it was not the perfect unity, did it achieve complete 
economic socio status for all colored skin people at all times and remove all bigotry from all people at all times. Nobody's done that. My favorite comment from the internet this week is one of you who I actually kind of like. You're fairly jovial, but you really disagree with me on a lot of things and you like to make snarky comments about it. And you gave a rather long comment in which you said how the problem isn't really communism or anything like that. The problem is just that these other people keep getting in the way of it. And if you just, you know, edit your sentence, which I did in my response to you, and I do this lovingly to you. So just, I gave you the subject and 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 then and the the verb of your entire thesis statement is that it should work. The only problem is people, and that's exactly the point. The only problem is people. People are bigots. We're born like that. We call it original sin in the Christian Church. Uh, uh, we say that that we are born sinful and unclean in thought, word, and deed. Generally, we're nice when we try to explain this. We say, well, that means we're selfish. It means that we're curved in on ourselves. But if you want to be real honest about it. We're like leprous spiritual bigots. That That is what we are. Every single human, every single color, I don't care who you are, you came from Adam and you came from Noah. We are all sons of Noah. And anybody out there preaching some other gospel that says some other thing, well, first, he ain't a Christian, let me tell you that. And second, he ain't a good man. He's a man with evil ideology akin to Hitler's because Hitler, if he is evil, is evil because he believed one particular race, one particular skin color, one particular tribe was more evil than all the rest, and he sought to exterminate it. And thanks be to God for Britannia and Americana, whatever evils we may also have in our past, we stopped that from being the planetary government at the time. Now, there could be things like that in the future, and frankly, as a Christian, I care and I don't care, because whatever, they're going to kill us or the devil will at some point. God's going to let you, martyr, die at some point. So you just kind of kind of take all of this stuff as entertainment, which is part of why I think the Kanye West conversation is fascinating because it's good entertainment. But you also have to take a step back and say, what are we really letting guide us as we talk about, I'm going to come back to it, masks? What is the guiding factor in your day-to-day thinking about other people with or without masks on? And are you letting that conversation be dictated to you by the shouting powers that only care about getting more power in November from each other? And so use everything that comes across the boob box... The tube, that's called the boob tube, that's right, the, you know, the, the, the boob tube, everything that comes across that is geared to keep you fixated on that conversation and that vote, as if that's the only thing that matters in your life from now till November, which is just complete catastrophe of a lie. What you should be focusing on instead is what matters right here in front of you, your family, your neighborhood, that person at the store who doesn't have a mask on, who's descended from the same stock as you, somewhere back in the tree, and certainly doesn't need to be excoriated or shamed by you publicly for their disagreement with you. Because honestly, while I, I'm going to keep wearing a mask out of chivalry, frankly, because uh, I'm not sure, but that's what chivalry says, is, well, when you don't know, do the one that hurts the least possible, so far as you can see. The scary thing is the news that came out that I saw yesterday. I don't know to believe anything anymore. There's a story from Europe about how wearing masks apparently made it worse in one community. I, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe the news. We shouldn't, to some extent, although we should, we have to. That's the navigation and discernment of understanding the white noise, which is what the higher things is going to be about later. How do you learn to discern the news? Well, you begin local. That's how. You begin locally with the word of God and found your understanding upon what the scriptures say. Then you trust your pastor, 
your board of elders. Unless they're evil, then you don't trust them and find one you can trust, but you finally trust your pastor and your board of elders and your family and, and that extended community to try to understand what is reality according to the word of God. And then you discern everything else that comes that way through that, which means that if you have a disagreement about mass in your congregation, you do not schism over it. You do not fight over it. You understand that the other side, both of them, is the weaker brother and you start to talk. That's what you do. Carefully, carefully. To divide over masks is to divide over what the Lutherans have always called adiaphora, which we often use as an excuse for, for doing praise and worship because we just want to, um, rather than really discerning what adiaphora and the, the term is about. It's about not dividing over things God has not said yes to or no to, right? It doesn't mean there aren't betters and worses and good ideas and bad ideas. It just means we're not going to let that keep us from understanding the fellowship that we have together in the supper, in the bread and wine, yeah? So, that reality far supersedes mass. And frankly, at the end of the day, the supper is like the, the nail in the coffin on this thing every time. Um, you can't commune with a mask on. Damn, straight up. You know, so at some point, it's got to come off, and people are doing it in restaurants. You got the whole issue of no one's doing the same thing anyway, anywhere. And so, you know, maybe some small pocket communities will be able to be insular and protect themselves. But Mexico's like just overflowing with this thing right now. And, and then the news coming out of, say, Sweden and other places is, well, maybe that's not such a big problem. I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, don't get mad at me for just saying this is all the news and it's contradictory <laughs> and that the Bible tells you to expect this because men are liars by nature. Uh, we are, and along with the whole bigotry thing. I wanted to explain earlier about how bigotry, bigotry is just fear of things that are different, right? So if you've never seen an alien before and he shows up and he's like, what? you're going to be like, what? Right? Um, because it's new. So when when black and white people first saw each other, like when their skin color was so different and they've been living for centuries and like completely opposite environments and ecologies and, and histories and ideas and they see each other, they're like, what? Like they, they didn't know that this was possible, right? I mean, are we going to be this bad uh, against the aliens? Probably. And of course, all the stories always say the aliens come in and attacking, right? So well, that's a different thing. But the bigotry is natural is my point, that what humans do when they see something that is xeno, that is different, that is distinct from them, their first reaction is at least surprise. As a baby, there's some like, <gasps> Ah, but not always. Sometimes there's a whole lot of fear. And, and in that fear of the new, which is pretty common, try changing anything anywhere with a group of people, and they're not going to like the new idea just because it isn't the old thing. It's called fear. That fear of the new that we all have in our hearts, which, of course, is tied to our faithlessness and lack of trust, fear, love of God, it nonetheless makes us all lean towards xenophobia, fear of the different. That doesn't mean that humans can't overcome that through, what, the word of God, <laughs> reconciliation, uh, just education at some point about what reality is. Sons of no is a pretty important thing. Um, you know, all of that. So we have the, the tools to not be derailed with the chaos. And thankfully, somewhere out in that intellectual dark web, there are Americans who are, who are broader than the LCMS's small little tiny corner, and, and they feel the same way and are having these conversations. And the more that we then can not align so much, but see that, hear that, and contribute to that, uh, the better off we're all going to be. We're all going to be. So that's, that's my thoughts there. Oh, you got to check out, if you didn't see the video from the cop in Portland, Portland has been on fire for like 50 nights straight. 
It is unbelievable. And the federal government's there. I can't figure out what the real truth is, whether they're doing it incognito or whether they're doing it in marked vehicles. There's different tweets coming out from different sides, and I'm trying to follow the first sources. I care about Portland. I almost wore a Portland shirt today. I'm a Blazer fan. I was born there. Uh, so it's, it's something that it means a lot to me, even though it's been a den of iniquity for quite a long time, and most people acknowledge that. Um, in, in a weird and progressively enlightened way, a den of iniquity, I might add, um, but now, I mean, really, the burning for 50 days, the feds are there arresting some of the terrorists that are instigating this, and, and the governor and the mayor are telling the feds they need to leave because Trump, right? And, and it's just, you're watching this go on, and, and then there's this really calm video, if you can find it. It's, I've seen it two places, so hopefully it did not get taken down and can't escape, of a, a black cop giving a debriefing. I'm not sure where, where this video is being taken. He's a black cop in Portland, and he very calmly says, um, it really opened my eyes when white people, liberals, repeatedly stepped in front of other blacks in the Black Lives Matter protest who were trying to talk to him, a black cop, shamed them out of talking to him so that he could not tell them why he was a cop. And uh, he said that opened his eyes. I hope it opens yours. Go find it. Then make that one up. That one's, that's some serious stuff. Some serious stuff. Okay, so, uh, Shiro, Shapiro Mass, we're done with that. Um, Black Cop on Twitter, thank God for that man and bless his family. And gosh, he'll probably get fired up in that region of the country. That's the way they do stuff. It's ridiculous. You know, the guy who, who's the guy who, um, just went to jail for something. I can't remember it. Anyway, the it's, you can't believe the news. You can't believe it. They're like crazy stories. You know, I want a tangent on that for a second. Think about this. Think about this. Everything anybody ever tells you, ever, like I say, hi, it's a nice day, right? Like, like at that moment, I just started a mythology. I began a story. I began a story between us. Hi, it's a nice day. Hello, yes it is, or no it's not, go away. Different stories. One has conflict, one does not yet have conflict, but will later have conflict. But we have this way of, when we talk with each other, whatever we do, we story. We story. We narrative, we dialogue. We are in this this meta need for a beginning and an end and a and a resolution climax that doesn't have to be conflict related, but is a built thing. That's what we like about music and all this stuff. It's so part of the human condition, and I'm contending it's it's part of our language. It's part of our language. And so why would I say this? Why why is it important to know that hi, good morning is a mythology? Well, because that means that click, hi, I'm Tucker Carlson, or hi, I'm Don Lemon is a mythology. Everything you watch, I, right now, I am a mythology, the man, the myth, the legend, I'm a guy in my basement. <laughs> a pastor who uh, most people really don't know, right? Uh, but, but, um, uh, I am to you at this moment on the screen a mythology. So was the Marvel series. It's a mythology, right? We always categorize this to just the ancient Greeks and just, you know, the pagans and their their pantheons. Well, their pantheons are groups of gods about whom they have a mythology, a set of words telling the story. And I don't know if that's the quite etymological mean of meaning of myth. I'd actually, I, I knew that once, but the alagazi, right? That's the knowledge of the stories, the knowledge of the past, the knowledge of of truth and, and and in this we're all trying to do that every conversation is a knowledge of truth moment but then the problem is we're in babel on which is the most marvelous onomatopoeia 
divinely spoken from the Hebrew <laughs> into every language ever, <laughs> uh, at least where, where the Bible comes into contact with it, uh, that, that I can't believe the news is just, I live in Babylon, Babylon in multiple means in the Bible, but one of them originally being the place of confusion, right? The place of Babel, the place of endless drivel that never makes sense. And I am but one more mythology out in this. I'm just going to contend to you that apart from the man, the myth, the legend that is Fisk, the the one that is Jesus is the myth that is true. That is, it's not a myth commonly spoken. But in fact, the real narrative, the real meta-narrative, the real archetypal truth of historical existence, and knowing that and having the Bible be there in order to enliven you into that, to reverse the fit. How does God fit into my life? Into how do I fit into God's book? (laughs) Yeah, where am I in this thing? Because it's not all about me for sure. And thank God for that too, actually. Um, But uh, how does that reversal of fit happen? It does happen. Is what happens is what you need to have happen. The myth comes true and all other myths then are exposed as the lies of men. Which means that every time you turn on the TV, expect to be lied to expect it. It's deceit. Why is it there to sell you something? They used to run the people with the snake oil out of town. Now they set up shop in China and just mail it to you on Amazon. And we keep buying it. I I still, I have to use Amazon. He's got me at this point to some extent, which gets us to the whole Googleplex idea. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a fantasy way uh, when it comes to the higher things stuff. But before we do that, I said I would do that not until at least later in the hour. I'm going to take a uh, sip of coffee, uh, make some music if I can remember how to make that music, and then come back. And we're just going to hit some of your stuff uh, right off the bat. How can I do this? I'm not very good at this. I'm learning again. Here we go. So what I want is hit number four and then number two while I sip coffee. Let's see if we can do this thing. You ready for this? Here we go. Hey, it, it, oh. <laughs> let's see here. Oh, man, well, that ain't going to work. Uh, this is bad. Can we, can we, can we? <laughs> I'm like on the far edge of the camera. The camera's like pointed way over there. Oh man, what a what a weird angle that is too. But I am not going to toy with it right now. The light's even worse. My heavens. This is all professional. You guys know this, right? I mean, I get paid for this. <laughs> okay, if I look there, is it actually getting you? It looks like it is. Okay, cool. We got some... Oh, and then the keyboard's way, way over there. We got some questions from you this week, and I don't have time to set it up, so we're just going to drop them in one at a time. We were hitting Andy, who says this. I recently listened to a podcast of yours about re-baptism. Uh, part of your response was the baptism is not a law, in no way suggesting the baptism was not necessary. Yes, indeed. Um, baptism is commanded, so I'm wondering what is the difference between something that is commanded yet not a law? That is a very good question. And it has more to do with English and Hebrew and Greek and German, and they're not playing as nice together as Babel would, you know, just kind of make it be. As they, 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 I should say that. I say that. We would like them to play nice together, but the Babel reality, the Babylon reality makes it so that they don't. And so the consistency with which any of those terms, institution, commandment, law, uh, which with they're used in English, especially by Lutherans, is not at all. That is, there are, there are broader and narrow meanings, and we use them without distinguishing those. And so we kind of just lump the whole, and that can be very confusing in ongoing conversation. In fact, it leads to meaningless conversation, which is why most of the talk you hear about law and gospel today just sounds like people talking about law and gospel today, and you walk away, you know, they said things that had the words law and gospel 
people in them, but you don't really know much else. Well, it's because the terms have been so broadened now uh, that unless you're in a very particular and specialized caste, namely pastors trained in certain LCMS institutions, it's it's tough to like even parse the language and know what the guy meant. And he might not even know what he meant himself. Um, so so in that way, your question is is asking, I think... I think the real meaning of your question is such a good one. It's uh, if Jesus said it and everything Jesus says comes to pass and is true and will always be and affects action upon people, and he said these things and it does all of that, Lord's Supper, um, how is it not a law, baptism? How is it not a law? Um, well, So my answer was it's not a law insofar as we distinguish law and gospel, meaning not do this or don't do that, but how is salvation received in it? So in in the baptism itself, how are you getting salvation? Is Is the water itself adding salvation to you outside of Jesus in some way? Is the pouring specific or the dunking, perhaps, specific in some way, enacting a new righteousness that was not there prior to the moment of washing. And this is what trips up, I think, Baptists a whole lot, right? They actually, they fall into the trap of saying, yes, you have to do things this way, even though they've, they've really got nothing to show for it when they're all done, <laughs> which is kind of fascinating. But uh, the distinction between doing it then in order to add the righteousness to it and doing it because it is a promise that you will receive righteousness in it. That's the distinction between, well, giving and receiving, frankly. And that's the distinction between law and gospel as terms that we use as Lutherans in our history to talk about the difference between faith and works, right? Salvation by works versus salvation by faith. So I say baptism is not a law insofar as it is a work one would do to earn righteousness. Whereas it is the gospel is in that it is a work done upon you by God according to his institution, which your body does participate for sure. Um, which uh, which declares to you and, and then imputes to you, in fact, gives you the righteousness that, um, I can't stay on camera, uh, the righteousness uh, uh, that Christ already attained for you by his atoning sacrificial death on the cross, right? the heart and center of all things, the fulfillment of reality itself, the king crowned, yeah? Oh, sipping. So I think that maybe helps enlighten your question. I don't know if I answered your question, uh, but... Uh, what I, what I wanted to say that did slip through my mind and then went away uh, is that this also is revealed in the word Torah in the Old Testament, which is always translated as law. And so for Lutherans, it's horrible <laughs> because you just have all this law in the Old Testament. And we've got this cultural uh, enigma of, of because we know the law kills, we now think it's bad in some way as opposed to the, the mortification of the flesh being a good thing. But um, – Still, that being said, the Old Testament having that word law there all the, all the way, it makes it look like it's saying things to do, things to do, things to do every time the word shows up. But Torah is such a broader word than things to do, and certainly broader than salvation by works. <clears throat> Torah is the full revelation and counsel of God. The word revelation would do better, although it's, that's not a word we're very comfortable with. But when John talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, this is Torah becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Law and gospel are included in this Torah. So this is part of the problem. Like you go to your Old Testament, and every time you see the word law, you have to know that it doesn't just mean do stuff. It can also mean gospel, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, the, the problem with translation always is how much do you amend the translation as you translate it from the literal American to whatever or English to whatever uh, 
matchup word and the meaning of the word. And they're not always the same thing, which is, is an amazing thing. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, I don't think that I, I, you got another question I haven't answered in that one. So we're going to jump over to justification and sanctification here. Whack, whack. What's the difference between justification and sanctification in Lutheran theology? I know it's different in the EFCA. I don't even know what that one is. Alphabet Soup in America. Hmm. Evangelical Free Church in America. I do know what that is. There we go. Uh, so, um, well, I was just talking about it. <clears throat> With the whole law gospel stuff. This is driving me nuts. Like, I thought I had light, but apparently I don't. I have a hat that's falling. There's less light. What is this? Sorry, I'll get back to it, guys. It's just, I have to put holes in my ceiling. And I've never done that before, kind of this way. And certainly not with plaster, for pity's sakes. Um, so I just can't win on this lineup right now. I have a light, like, in my face, and it's not bright enough. <laughs> Jeez. Welcome. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Do, do you get this one? If I just touch your shoulder, can I even do that? Here, like this. Touch your shoulder. There he goes. Hey. <laughs> if you know that one, awesome on you. Uh, difference between justification and sanctification in Lutheran theology. All right. Don't spill anything, Jonathan. Um, I was just talking about it. It's everything in one sense, and it's something that shouldn't be a big deal, except for that it is because it's the heart of our Salvation is the heart of the fall. Uh, original sin, which I talked about earlier, about this fear of the distinct or the fear of the different or the hatred of the different that arises, is first a hatred of God before it is all things. And and in that way, uh, we know that all men are effectively zombified dead men. Right? They don't exist spiritually in God's sight as anything better than demons. Uh, and And then justification is the biblical teaching that God makes that evil into an innocence. And he does that by atoning for it, which means shifting the blame from us to Jesus on the cross. Straight up. That is the justification of man in Jesus Christ. Now, everything else Jesus does, being born, being baptized, uh, raising from the dead, ascending, returning, all those things are part of this. But like justification is that event where the the atonement has happened. Atonement is a way of speaking about the meaning of the exchange, but justification is the result of the exchange. And the result of that exchange is that all men are declared innocent in Jesus. All sons of not just Noah, but Adam are declared. And that goes back before the flood, pre-anti-antidiluvian times. Um, all are in Jesus justified, made innocent. No matter what evil we have, it's all declared clean because of the one death of Jesus. That's justification. It's pretty sweet stuff if you think about it. It's amazing. More Christians don't even know it's there. Um, and then sanctification, this is a tougher one because there's two ways Lutherans use this word, and we like to fight about one of them a whole lot. And we also like to try to use one of them to make justification go away a whole lot because all oh, men hate justification. It exposes our sin while it cleans us. You know, it purges, and that kind of hurts a little bit. It's like tempering steel. And, and so we don't like that. We want to make it go away intellectually so we can justify ourselves into more comfortable lifestyles. And one of the ways to do that is to teach how, well, yes, justification, but sanctification. And that's like a really awful, dirty trick, anybody who ever does that, because the two go hand in hand and frankly uh, are the same reality. Sanctification is by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. Anyone who tells you differently is lying through their teeth. And if they say, but you have to do good works, I say, yeah, of course you have to do works, but sanctification is not by good works, for pity's sakes. Now, who do you trust in? <laughs> now, who do you trust in? So sanctification 
is not justification. It's not the declaring of the innocence of mankind, nor is it really the justification of man before his brother that James talks about in his book, where he says you're not justified by faith alone, but by works. He's referring to when you're dealing with your brother, you need to, in fact, look like you say you are. If you say, I love you, punch like he's gonna be like you're a liar right so so to be justified before your brother requires right action and james says christians should do this and we all know this paul says this too they're not in disagreement but paul is pretty clear about justification before god and this again being the sufficiency of jesus atonement for you on the cross right so sanctification paul also says is the same reality this jesus has now what does sanctify mean that's the key justify means literally to make just to make good right? Uh, Sanctify means to make sanctu. We don't have that one in English as much. Sanctuary is there a little bit, right? Um, uh, mm, Sanctuary city. Think about what that means as well, right? So to be sanctuaried, to be sanctified is to be literally set apart, uh, literally tied to the unique set-apartness, the holiness, as we usually translate it, of God. But again, think sanctuary cities and what that word means there it's set apart in what way as refuge as fortress so christians are sanctified in this life in jesus entirely as their refuge we're set apart so that the results of justification namely things like the third article talk about the forgiveness of sins with each other and our impending resurrection that's all sanctification working itself out right our being set apart by the refuge that is christ and literally in the ark that is ferrying us across the raging flood of his uh well our sin his victory over sin uh thank you starkey i i, I should have pirated more words there uh so that set apartness, that sanctuary we have by being physically in the body of Jesus, then of course ties to that sanctified moment of the supper where the proximity between you and God is reduced reduced to literal insignificant zeros uh, because the bread and the wine, which are declared by Jesus to be him, come in and set you apart from the rest of the world because everyone who doesn't eat that bread and wine declared by Jesus to be himself doesn't have that. So when God looks down and he sees you, he literally sees Jesus in you and he sees your neighbor who's not a Christian or doesn't eat the Lord's Supper and he doesn't see Jesus in you. And stop worrying about the last time you got the Lord's Supper. That's not the point, Lutherans, you little guilt-ridden monikers. Come on! You know, it's, it's, it's a, but it is about, hey, I need the Lord's Supper. Absolutely, because the Lord's Supper is sanctification. Are you saying that people shouldn't do good works? No, I didn't say that at all. Why would people set apart by God to be saved from their evil works, look at their evil works and say, golly, I can't wait to do that again? At the very least, they're going to look at their evil works that they know about. They're going to have we all have bigotries and, and mistakes and errors and f- distractions that we, that we don't know about, right? But Christians look at the ones we do know about, and we don't like them much. We want to stop it down, right? That kind of thing. And on everything, pride, greed, laziness, like all those things, gluttony, like in theory, we don't like any of that. Because we know it's our flesh, and we know our flesh hates Jesus, and we believe him when he says that. And so even like, I don't understand how eating three pizzas makes me not love Jesus. Well, it's not about how one thing does anything. It's about what are you believing in and trusting in now? We can talk about how in America it's like nothing. (laughs) That's what America believes in itself. What do Americans believe in? American Christianity has trusted in in America to to shield us for so long uh, that, um, well— Straight up, we've forgotten what we believe, why we believe it. Now we wonder why we're falling over in the midst of a chaotic and roiling time. Yeah, Sanctification means 
with all that being absolutely still true, I don't have to worry about it. I'm set apart. A thousand may fall at my right hand, ten thousand at my right side. I shall not be moved. I shall look upon the Lord in the land of the living. Straight up. And does that mean that I'm not going to get COVID? No. Does that mean if I get COVID, I won't die? No. If I get COVID, I might die? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then how would a thousand fall at my right hand, but I not be moved? I'd die in the faith. That's how. And I'd live forever when I rose again. That's how. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it's not like every moment, every day, I'm this confident. But I tell you, Christianity is a lifetime of getting just a little more confident in that. Like the rest of your life, every day is like, oh, yeah, his mercies are new every morning. And I might be weaker than I was yesterday, but he's, well, he's as strong as he's ever been. Look at that. My God is bigger. Someone said that to me once about a personal project that, well, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. It's still happening. It's caused a lot of damage, in my opinion. But um, just because your personal project isn't brought about by God doesn't mean he isn't bigger than the problem you're trying to solve. Sometimes we think we're going to solve a problem, and all we do is we put the idol back up. Mm. Sanctification is knowing you're holy, not becoming holy. It is a lifetime of becoming holy, which is knowing you're holy. Declared to be sound. It's pretty hard to believe that, honestly. When you see your sin every day, when you, when you find yourself just never being what you want to be, when the shame of past patterns and experiences and old relationships that you can't unleash yourself from comes and shoots you in the face one more time, it's awful good to know you're already sanctified. You're already set apart. And part of that, I mean, really, the experience of that sanctification, that, that sanctuary is the mortification, the murdering of your flesh inexperienced by God himself at his hand and with all prejudice against you insofar as he will keep you in the faith by reminding you how you can't keep yourself in the faith and how Jesus does every time. Well, there's some pain in that, honestly. <laughs> it really is. But I tell you... Um, well, pleasure ain't all it's cracked up to be. I like pleasure just fine, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. And pain is not all it's not cracked up to be. Someone said to me recently, and, and I, I, what he said, I didn't want to co- contradict him. Um, you know, he said, I really look forward to when there's no pain in, in heaven. Um, you know, pain was here to teach us something now about sin. And he's right and he's wrong. I mean, it's certainly pain is used to teach us things about sin. But when God greatly increased the pain of woman and childbearing, bearing, um, it was already there. <laughs> It's already there. Pain is part of the creation. Uh, itching is pain. Uh, the same the same nerves you use to feel pleasure on something. And I'm imagining my wife's face. It doesn't quite feel like this wall. The wall feels quite different. Uh, not nearly as pleasurable, but uh, and a little more painful. That spectrum of pleasure and pain is is just your nerves doing what your nerves do. And so, you know, the far end of pain will be there, but it'll be good. And, and the far end of pleasure will be there, but it'll also be good which means it won't be unfulfilling. <laughs> it won't be your idol anymore. Yeah? Um, so all of this is to, to begin to live that sanctified life. It is not about becoming something, but believing you are something. And if you really want to get dig- deeper into that, um, the new obedience, pursuing good works, believing the Ten Commandments is like, like duh. Like, what are you doing? You, you mean you didn't think I was assuming that? What are you? Who are you, right? It's what the Bible says. Like Lutherans believe what the Bible says. If it says do this, we do it. Um, and, well, unless it's like, don't do it anymore later in the book when Peter, you know, you can eat pig and all that. So so uh, all that is to say that the life of sanctification then gets expressed in our theology as Lutherans, first in the Apostles' Creed, third article, second in the Nicene Creed, third article, third in the Athanasian Creed, near the end, <laughs> it's kind of long, uh, and then finally it gets picked up 
Well, not in Article 6 of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, that would be on the new obedience, which is about the fruit of justifying yourself before your brother as a pursuit of your life as a Christian, um, which is what we should do. Um, but it shows up later, really, in, in areas like baptism, supper, repentance. There is the difference between justification and sanctification as a narrow term that later does get used to mean works versus grace. But frankly, that's just not the way the Bible uses it, so we can't let that narrow term stop us from believing the broader term as the main term. And then we can certainly have our inner debates about, you know, what Melanchthon meant at a given time. I'm just talking to the Lutherans at this point because we care about this stuff and we should. Um, but but the term sanctification really needs to be unleashed from its its tie to what I was previously talking about in the, in the other comment on baptism, uh, the law or our feeling of the law. So sanctification is a guilt word for most Lutheran experience, even though it's not a guilt word biblically. And it's really not a guilt word in our theology when you see the big picture. It does become a guilt word when people use it as a distinction from justification in order to get good works back into the primary motive of their preaching. Christian preachers, your motive should not be more good works. Your motive should be Jesus. <laughs> let us let them see more Jesus, because what that does is it makes more good works. You got to teach good works, too. You should listen to my sermons if you think I'm not saying you should, because I, that's all. I, not all I do. I do a lot of it, though. But I don't believe for a second that me saying do this more, because the Bible says so, is going to have near the effect of me saying, I know you need Jesus, and here's how the Bible says he's yours, and, and where you're struggling with it. And the Bible says you're struggling with it, so deal with it, and then know he's sufficient. And the result of that will not be, oh, I want to go out and do more evil. It maybe takes time. I remember when I, when I came back into the church for reals, it probably took me six months of attending services before I really even conceived that I had maybe not been a Christian. And I walked away. Uh, and I still don't know, you know, whether my deism, my moralistic therapeutic deism was a felicitous inconsistency or not. I don't think I denied the Trinity, so technically I would have been in, right? If you're going to get if you're going to get technical on it, but I'm, it's Judgment Day. I'm not going to stand on any of that on Judgment Day. Uh, what I know is that when I came back, it took me six months to realize I was coming back, right? Uh, changing from sin to righteousness in terms of justifying your actions before men. I mean, doing good actions before men for their sake. Um, sanctification, meaning being a person who knows you're set apart and lives like it, which does include justifying yourself before men, but it's not the summary of the term. That takes time. It takes a lifetime. It takes every day. Something. It's got to be the scriptures eventually. Yeah. So so what is the difference? I mean, that's probably more than you wanted, right? Probably more than you wanted. Okay, so this format that we're looking at right now is absolutely not going to work for the higher things thing. So I got to go back to the other format, which is fine. It'll work. Um, but that's what we're going to get ready to do here. Let's, I'm going to check the time. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, 9.15 already? Yes, about right. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run a break and come back in, and I'm going to be talking to you. Uh, well, I won't even have the camera set up right, right? Because, oh, for pity's sakes. It was, it was like this, I think. <laughs> goodness gracious. Um, I will be... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, when I come back, it's going to be like I'm doing a full-on presentation at a conference. I'm going to act like I'm at the conference. I'm going to talk to you like you're the people at the conference. But I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, it is you know, loosely titled The White Noise Babylon Googleplex of Death and the Proper Christian Response. And this is the the pitch that's showing up in their um, – and they're they're not their bulletins, but you know they're they're briefing on what what they can go and listen to. Um, so here 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 goes uh, what we're coming back to in a moment. You are living in the dystopia. Hunger Games was a fairy tale. Burning cities and mass mobs are your real world. But don't forget, there is another kingdom at play. Be on the righteous side of history. 
Resist the Googleplex. Join or start today. And by the way, for those of you out there in in uh, listener land, uh, there is a $35 off registration for you or your youth to the Higher Things Virtual Conference that you get for being a mad Christian. And all you got to do is type MAD space Christian, capital M, capital C, into the promo code when you register for Higher Things, if you haven't yet, uh, for their Higher Things Virtual Conference this summer, and you will get, again, 35 bucks off your cost. So feel free to do that. You'll see not only me, but a bunch of others. I, I think I'm the only one doing it early and live like this. Um, and we'll see, we'll see how it works. They might get mad at me. Uh, but, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, two birds, one stone. That's what we try to do. All right. So I'm going to take at least a three minute break, but if I can't get comfortable with the camera setup, it might be a little longer. When I come back, we will be as professional as we get this morning, which is not why you watch. You watch for all the slapstick. We'll see you guys on the other side. You think it's just a game. You think it's all just kind of passing by and it's all taken care of by somebody else. Well, there's a lot of somebody else's out there for sure. And they're trying to take care of things. They're trying to take care of themselves. But it's not a game unless it's a game of thrones. And in some ways it is. It's what men do. They vie for power. For you, Christian, it's, it's not a game. It is and it isn't. It's not a game to take lightly. It's not a, a child's game. It's a real-life first-person shooter. You're in the seat. Virtual reality par excellence. And I'm going to tell you today, this ain't a story. This ain't a myth. I'm not making this up. You are in a fight for your life against the white noise Babylonian. <laughs> I messed it up. Against the white noise Babylonian captivity Googleplex of death. Uh, Welcome to my breakout. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're going to be talking about white noise and media ecology and the zombification of mankind as well as the antidote that you need to be a Christian in your world today. My goal is to equip you to stand firm, to not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope, but instead to lift up your eyes and know that the return of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ is fast approaching. And so whatever else the news, the tabloids might be saying, you have a better gooder news that you can rely on law and gospel all your life long as the discernment factor for not giving in to the Babylonian captivity of your mind, the enslavement of your soul. So, so what's the white noise? We've we got to deal with that right off the bat. What's the white noise? The white noise is white fragility, honestly. And if you haven't heard about that book yet, well, you don't want to, and God bless you if you never do, but it's, an, it's, a, it's a bestseller nationally, and it's about more or less how white people are more originally sinful than anybody else. Now, the author's not a Christian, and I don't know uses the word original sin, but, but the author insists that, that the white species is distinct from the rest of humanity in some really awful way. Um, now, this has gained a lot of traction because it connects with most of what they're going to teach you at college when you're sent to college by the people who've taken over the Enlightenment institutions in order to push various social agendas because men crave power, and men crave power, and oh, Men crave power. Uh, so that's what's going on across our country. And the White Fragility book is just the most recent person trying to make the most radical noise possible to get up on top just to make a buck and get some more power. But there's all sorts of other stuff going on that's being abused. And you know this. You're watching it all around you. And I can't imagine what it's like to do this as a high school student. My high school experience was jarring and, and awkward and strugglesome. I mean, I was, I was a jock nerd. I had no, I was a no man. I had no people. 
<laughs> I was an outcast from all civilizations. Uh, and so I can't imagine what, what I would do if I was wearing a mask and running in terror from everything, or maybe I just wouldn't care and not believe the news anymore at all, which is what I hear a lot of you are doing. And that's scary too, but maybe less scary than believing it, I suppose. Pandemics, statues, burning cities, people wearing masks everywhere, sometimes with helmets on to beat people, sometimes with uniforms on to beat people, sometimes not uniforms. Uniforms by those are declaring themselves to be foreign nations on American soil and getting support from the mayor. It's a weird time to live. That's the white noise. What's true? What's true? I can tell you what is true. There are more murders now than there were before they defunded the police departments. I can tell you that. Uh, more murder now than ever. Why? Because men want power. And when you give men the opportunity to take power, they'll take power. And you say, well, then what do we do? We must get all men out of power. No, 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 no. You must be a good man and you must put good men in power and you must check them with your mind, with relationships, with conversation, with wisdom. You must be one yourself first. Ladies, that doesn't mean you don't be a good woman just because I tell the guys to be a good man. Don't get personal. It's all about the biblical reality of your bondage to Jesus. And now that bondage is going to pull you out of the grave now in your head, later in the body. But the thing is, you've been prepped for this as a generation. I mean, you've been listening to other people's stories about the chaotic, dystopic reality of the world for a while now. I mean, y'all, y'all love the Hunger Games. Guys might not have loved it, but I know you, you watched it because girls. And, and so, you know, the Hunger Games is like a, a defining story for your generation. And I get it. Even though it's it's really kind of um, – I'd call it – it's on the juvenile fiction scale, uh, the juvenile fiction shelf of my uh, dystopic Western fantasy theme awesomeness you know, wall, right? But there's so much more before The Hunger Games came along, and, and The Hunger Games is really a little bit more about – white fragility, honestly, (laughs) which is not a good thing. We don't want to adopt that as if that's a good thing. White fragility is a lie that you're evil because you're white. So just just don't ever let someone talk about it. (laughs) Um, But the movie's a little bit about that in some ways. It's part of the progressive agenda. You go back and watch some of these other ones, Blade Runner, Aliens, the Terminator series. And you see that my generation, Gen X, we were prepped on the belief of a dystopic future as well. Ours had no heroes. Ours had very little hope. Ours ended with death a lot of the time. Uh, and in yours, at least, so this is the good thing about Candace. Is it Candace? I don't even know her name. The girl in Hunger Games. Um, the good thing about her, you have a hero. You have a hero. That's good. Heroin? Well, what we need is the real hero, not a girl rising from nowhere, but a guy, a boy, a man rising from the grave. After he rose out of the nowhere of Nazareth. So all stories, all myths, all of them point back to Jesus. He is the full type of them, even when they reach the level of archetype, which is like the highest level stories. The ones that get repeated a lot are archetypes. Lower ones are types. They're, we're trying to, to represent an idea through a conversation, and we tell a story about it. It's, it's a type. We even call it typeface, right? When you put it in the words. It's not quite the same, but you get the idea. So these older dystopic Western fantasies, they prepped my generation to take what's happening right now very seriously and to not have a lot of hope in it, which is bad. Your generation was prepped to not take it very seriously, but have a lot of hope, which is is also bad. And what we need to do is have both generations learn from each other, which didn't happen in the previous generation. I've learned a lot from the boomers, but I don't know what the boomers want to learn. And I do. I want to learn from you who are younger. I don't think I know everything. I certainly don't see everything on the ground. I could not make heads or tails of TikTok. And by the way, you should delete it from your phone. It's the Chinese government tracking you. They are communists, and communism hates this country on principle. So, I mean, there's all sorts of noise out there about that, but you might want to not have TikTok, you know, just spying on you. Um, just, just saying, if you didn't know. But, but the dystopic Western fantasy, I, I love this idea 
is what do I mean by that? Dystopia is the opposite of a utopia. A utopia is a perfect future. Christians believe in a utopia. We believe when Jesus returns, we will have paradise on earth. We do not believe a utopia in a utopia before that. Progressive leftist Americans believe in a utopia. They believe in a peace on earth on the other side of their policies. Vote for them, give them money. Uh, conservative far-right Americans actually have the same s- scenario at work. They preach a utopia. Uh, and, and ultimately, we're all trying to do this with our own lives every day. You're trying to make your life better. But as Christians, we don't believe we're ever going to get there. And because we know all men crave power, like I said before, right? Uh, that original sin is a thing. That prejudice born within us as xenophobia, as fear of the other, is a thing. Learning from you about the fight that's going on and you learning from me about the fight that's going on is what we all need to do under the guidance and governance of the Word of God so that all these stories don't overwhelm us and we don't forget the one story that's needful. Which is again what the scriptures say. It's why you're at this conference. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's less of you than there would have been at the bigger conferences because some people only care about the other stuff. But you're here because you care about the real thing. So again, let me just tell you: if you haven't started taking notes yet, you should. And I'm, I'm ahead of the game right now. I may be the first one anybody's seeing. So when you go to the conference, take notes, write it down, go home. Don't reread the notes. Take notes on your notes. Just do that, and you will be a better theologian. I promise you. Creation's built that way. Do it. Take notes. The white noise wants you to not take notes. The white noise wants you to retweet and forget. That's what it wants you to do. The white noise wants you to watch and go, uh, uh, I'm hungry. And then it'll say, here's some food. Don't ask where it came from. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing so we can suck your brain out. Uh, play, you know, use you as a battery in the matrix. I don't know, right? I don't know. The point is the white noise shuts you down and it's not... I'm not afraid of machines sucking our brains out in the matrix. But this is not the only thing we're talking about here. The white noise Babylonian captivity. That, that's a bigger deal here. So now we've got to know what Babylon is. You know what the white noise is. You experience it all the time. What's Babylon? Babylon is a place in the Bible. It's the, you can maybe notice the Fertile Crescent from some high school history classes. It's one of the most ancient civilizations that we are able to see and therefore, the atheists who ignore that every civilization ever talks about a worldwide flood or a great flood uh, say it's the most ancient civilization that there's ever been. I would say, well, there was one before. It was before the flood. But anyway, it's a, it's a supremely ancient civilization, this Babylon place. And it shows up in the Bible for a number of reasons, not only because people like Abraham kind of live there before they then leave, but also particularly when Jerusalem falls and the kingdom of David is ended, not once for all, but kind of almost for a couple of guys, um, a couple of lines uh, coming out of it, uh, it went to this captivity, this exile in Babylon. And at that time, what had been settled as the Fertile Crescent had arisen to be the most powerful kingdom on the western side of the planet. And if they'd had to do battle with the eastern side, well, we'll let Dan Carlin's hardcore history handle that gambit. But I would I would contend there's a good chance that at that time, uh, the West militarily was just in a little bit of a different place. What, what's really interesting, though, that kept these two parts apart, total tangent, is that, you know, why did China and, like, Rome never run into each other? Well, they knew about each other, but what was in the middle was was what today we call Russia. 
you know, the, the, the great Asian steppe. And anybody who knows anything about history knows don't try to go across that with an army. And uh, that that's the big reason. But there is an army that lives in the middle of that. They're called the horse people, the steppe people, um, Genghis Khan and whatnot. They have existed as powers in the past too. But again, uh, uh, war is about technology as much as it's about how clever you can be. And, and that's, that's a different thing. Babylon was the supreme clever and technologically advanced military of the time. They had just completely absorbed what had come before them and run roughshod over everyone, including this failing little kingdom of David down underneath an already failed other half of his state that splintered. Imagine a civil war that actually split us north and south. Well, that's what happened to Israel, right? And then the south was the last and was actually the Davidic line. So if you want to be symbolic, you can make them the north. Um, but, but, you know, it's a very different reality. It's just a split country in a civil war. War, or a civil disagreement, really. Um, the, the North had been gone for quite a long time and never comes back. But Babylon is where the South, the Judites, who now we call Jews this day for this same reason, because they were the Judites, were exported from their homeland to a foreign country and then brought back again. That image, the exile and return, is the archetype of the Bible. I used that word earlier, archetype. The big symbol, the big picture of the Bible. That archetype, that big picture of the Bible is really about Jesus. And then it has, I told you, he's the fulfillment of the type, right? But there are two of these parallel versions of the same archetype that is the whole story of the Bible. It is the Babylonian captivity and return of the Hebrew people to their land. It is also then the leaving of the people to Egypt and coming out of slavery back to their land. Both of these are just, again, archetype symbols of the real thing, which is the fallout of paradise into slavery, the captivity of sin, death, the power of the devil, Jesus entering into our world, and again, taking us back to the land we're supposed to be at in the resurrection. That's the utopia that we believe in, and Babylon is a big symbolic picture of that. So when I talk about the white noise Babylon, that should have some theological import. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about groups of people as mobs and not as humans. I'm t- I mean, they are humans, but they're not in their mind. They're zombies now in their mind, and they will they will eat. They're, they are voracious. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Now, there's still yet more to this, because Babylon then gets picked up by Dr. Dr. Luther to become uh, a Mm, clickbait for his time, a tract that he wrote called On the Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And what it's about is how in his day, the church had yet again been exiled from herself, that Christianity had been exiled in its teaching from the very organization, Rome, which existed in theory to promote the teaching. And the whole Reformation thing is all about that. And people were killing each other over it back then, mind you. Mainly the Romans, to my knowledge, do in the killing, by the way, um, but, but, but just saying, that's what it was all about. Luther, not shying away from a fight, writes this tract, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church, and it's about how the Roman Pope has declared and refuses to allow the teaching of justification— he just declared it illegal, effectively, the biblical teaching, declared a false teaching legal, you must do it at penalty of death. And Luther says, this is like us being taken to Babylon. Uh, but that, that there is a there's an unleashing that happens here, right? There is a there is a coming out of Babylon. Okay, so again, the white noise, Babylonian captivity, Googleplex, Google, Google's a clever company. They want to rule the world. Follow them closely. Uh, don't let them have everything you own if you can help it. Uh, they're going to try, I think. That's my guess. I'm no prophet, but uh, I've always had a fascination with the word 
Google. It's spelled differently normally, though. I learned about the word Google when I was six, long before the internet was even a, a dream in my mind. Uh, and it, it means, I think, a one with a hundred zeros after it. That's a Google. I think that's right. You can fact check me on that one. It might be a thousand zeros, um, something like that. So, so when, when Google uh, was competing with web crawler <laughs> to be right. And, and what was a navigator uh, to, to be, uh, you know, the internet go-to search engine, Yahoo was back there. And if they weren't so corrupt, they might've done better. Um, but when, when Google was competing, that's a clever name. I'll use Google for that reason. Cause I knew about that, that number as a kid, but and I think the idea, if you look at the bottom of the search engine, like you see all these zeros at the bottom of the search engine, that's like, look, we can show you anything. But the Googleplex, uh, and it's not yeah, Google. The, old, the real word's Googleplex. I, that's, I got it wrong there. The real word's Googleplex. Um, the thing about it, though, is that as all information gets sucked into Google and Amazon, and there's a couple of really big Chinese companies trying to do the same thing, and they're kind of at war with each other a little bit. Um, not, not physical war, but uh, you know, uh, capitalized war. Um, the sucking up of all that information by Google, so you have to go to Google to get it, is inviting the white noise to, to control everything. So here, here's my real contention. If you put everything into a digital world, then Google will own it eventually. And you think that the men at the top of Google are going to care about Christianity at that time. So you have a duty right now to make sure the word of God does not leave your mind or your hands in some ways for the rest of your life. Uh, to have a Bible is a great privilege. And we live in an era where the next era might not have it. The treasure years. There's still quite a plentiful around. There's a lot of bad translations, but use yours. Get into it. The Googleplex is the also, so see this too. It's not just that Google's a, a massive conglomerate company that has aspirations at, at, I think, nationhood eventually. They have the money to do it. They're, they're transglobal. They, they avoid certain laws. They're above the law in so many ways. They're manipulating the U.S., as is Twitter and a bunch of others too. I'm sure there's conservatives trying. I'm not sure there's any conservative companies actually succeeding. But, but everybody wants to do it. All men crave power. But here's the thing, though. There's something bigger than the Googleplex. There is another spirit at work in the Sons of Disobedience. There is, among unbelief, a, a lying spirit, a time-traveling ghost, a zeitgeist is the old word for it, who is this ancient evil foe, Lucifer the devil, who inspires men with lies. And I don't know exactly how he does it. He has a tie to our hearts in certain ways, so we can go straight to you. And yet I don't know that he's so powerful as to be omniscient and be with you at all times. So don't run around afraid. But do know this, that as you see the rising and falling of various global hegemonies, and we shift perhaps from the city-state-esque nation-state to something that looks more like a tech-based supernation, uh, and many of them, we're also impinging on a new dark ages of information in which if you want to believe something outside of what the Bible tells you to believe, you've got to guard your own heart and mind. And the Bible says this from the start, guard your hearts and minds in Christ. What is media ecology then? This is the task. You must learn how to discern the truth from the falsehood. And media ecology is a science, a field that will help you understand or teaches that there is a way to understand the difference between a conversation and a book and a picture talking to you on a screen and being live in a room full of people. All of those are different mediums. They're different methods of communication. Think of it like instruments being played. You play a tuba, you play a violin, you play the same song, they sound a little bit different. Well, if you do something in radio and you do something on Twitter, it's going to come off different even if the same information is attempted to be conveyed, sometimes because some of these mediums are harder than others. It will be very difficult to do the Declaration of Independence in watercolor, right? It's just the wrong medium, but pen and ink works out pretty well. Medium, media, ecology, environment, 
is the study of how the media interacts. I'll just tell you a couple things real quick. Twitter generally doesn't help you think at all. It kills your brain. Writing and then writing again makes your brain better, and you'll have a superpower over the people who just sit there and let the drool run down their face while the Googleplex tells them what to do. If you'll just spend some time translating the English and the Bible into your own understanding every single morning. It'll change your life. I guarantee it. So, but, but also, so that's Twitter doesn't help. Writing helps a lot. TV makes you think you're smart, but actually makes you less smart. Whereas engaging in a long form audio podcast is almost like reading a book. Not quite. You can't quite rely on the facts the same way. You can't say, I read it, and so sometimes your facts get a little tweaked or you don't remember where you found it the same way. But a long-form podcast uh, is a good way to learn, whereas TV documentaries, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's propaganda. It always is. There is no—what I'm doing right now, this is propaganda. It's the medium I'm in. Okay, uh, moguls, entertainers, and all that stuff. That, 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 look at me. I even look like one right now, and I'm imitating them because you have to, because that's the medium. The medium is propaganda. Anytime you see a talking picture, and especially if they add music, it's a brainwashing device. And I'm not saying you can never watch it, but you should understand how it works if you're going to watch it. And there's books about that. Key book, Marshall McLuhan. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and you can't handle it. I know you can, and you can rewind, I think, and, and go look it up. Um, your duty, boys, is to become men to understand the media ecology of your world so as you can protect your families from the Googleplex so it doesn't steal their faith from them. That's your duty. Uh, your duty, young men, is to become fathers who do that. That means you got to become a father. you got to think about that sometime. Ladies, that doesn't mean you're not involved. You. Huh. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who's recently been toppled. Was he toppled or was he just threatened to be toppled? Isn't that weird? I think it was he who said, uh, she who rocks the cradle rules the world. And would that we would listen. What is the the zeitgeist? Oh, I see. And so now, okay. And I don't know what our time's at. I got to close this up pretty quick, I think. What's the antidote? You have the antidote. The white noise, Babylon, Googleplex of death. Anybody who's not a Christian should look at that and tremble because you lose, your brain gets washed. See ya. Um, but our religion is bigger than this because our religion is a religion of the word. All other religions, with the exception of Judaism and Islam, don't really consider the scriptures that important. Their scriptures are not that important. They're there. They use them, but it's not quite the same. And Islam's closer to us in, in how we approach it. Judaism, depending on which Jews you talk to, is closer to it. But the point is, you have a shining, glimmering, anti-Zeitgeist Googleplex sword of light and fire that not only has already pierced your own heart to destroy the zombie within you by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, baptizing you into his death and resurrection so you may know you will never die again, feasting upon him as your very essential life being every week that you can, how can you not pick up that sword? And start to use it. But of course, you won't if you don't understand it's not about you picking up the sword. The sword's in your own heart already. You're lying dead on the battlefield, a zombie trampled over by the glorious kingdom of God, and thus converted into not a zombie anymore, but one who sees a regenerated being, an awakened actual human. Yeah, still a sinner, saint and sinner, but that saint's real. That saint ain't ever going to die, and that saint lives from this sword, piercing your heart that also comes out of your mouth to pierce the hearts of others. So the fulfillment of this is the type of Jesus, right? The, the fullness and, and image, the, the crucified man who, from the fall in the garden to the return, remains everlastingly king. And you are his. That crucifixion that he holds, this, this being put up upon a throne from which it looks like he shall never descend, is but the reminder of where you would be put without him. 
And thus the reminder of where he is now. He doesn't sit on the cross. I, I, I wear a crucifix on an empty cross to remind me that the cross is empty. I've heard people argue it the other way, and I think they're fools. I, I, he's on the cross to remind me he's not on the cross. He's in heaven right now. And this is me, the cross. I'm tied to this because this is what I deserve, and this is what he saved me from. So whatever else comes, it ain't this. It ain't me here. He's already here. Christ is the fulfillment of the type. He is the resurrection poured into you as guarantee by the all-living and everlasting almighty God. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Uh, sometimes I go by the name The Mad Christian. You can find my stuff at RevFisk.com. I do all sorts of YouTube stuff at YouTube.com slash RevFiskJ. Uh, long-form podcasts, books that are really worth reading, broken, by the way. Um, you can handle it. A lot of good stories. It even uses Star Wars, and I'll tell you why midichlorians are just a joke, uh, really, in a theology book. I mean, what more can you ask for? Uh, higher things, thank you so much for letting me be. I may be just a little shorter than half an hour, and I might be just a little bit over, but I will be done absolutely right now. Hey, y'all, don't, don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Uh, rock on knowing in whom you have believed. Uh. Ooh, that was exhausting. All right, well, I got paper everywhere. I've never done this with the note cards before. Oh, I missed the last one. Start taking notes. Your, your mind, I misspelled a word. Your mind ought to belong to you so that you might know that you belong to God. You're not your own. Your mind ought to belong to you so that you might know you belong to God. Or resist the white noise. All right, we're going to head back to questions and comments. I'm not going to go back to the other camera uh, side of things here this morning because that's all messed up. So we'll just stand here like this. And um, that's nice and big. This will work. All right. Josh says this. Thanks for tuning in for all that. By the way, guys, I didn't get, have a real break there. Oh, come on. Oh, shadow, shadows everywhere. Um, normal fans, thanks for watching that and being part of the setup for that and continuing to enjoy the teaching that I do here, even though it is very unprofessional on, on every like uh, brainwashing level, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're not quite behind the scenes, but almost are. Um, uh, your support is what makes all this happen, and much of your support is just enjoying it for what it is. And so I want to thank you for that before I then ask you to support me on Patreon. But Patreon is how the show goes round and round as well. Uh, it is a significant portion of my income. I am, in fact, what you might call a bivocational pastor. Uh, I could not do what I do without this second job that is uh, whatever mad Christianity is. I can talk about that more another time. I have real, real dreams for, for things. And of course, the Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network, the land, the Lutheran land, uh, that is continuing to be in motion, by the way. All those things um, are tied to me just keeping my feet on the ground, which is tied to my bivocational income, which you can support by subscribing to this show on Patreon. At this point, the only real bonuses you get, and I will I will stick with this to the best of my capacity to my dying day, and the real bonus you get is you know you're doing it. And then second, uh, when and if I self-publish things, that is, I have things published that are uh, my copyright and not CPH's copyright, um, and when they are in the public domain, uh, you are you are a free copy will be made available on the Patreon page. Now, uh, you know if, if you want the old one, you might have to contact us, and we'll make sure we get it to you or whatever. If we can't find it, but the point is that anything that comes out uh, from uh, Dark Shore Comics, which is the uh, you know, the, the parent company, um, anything that comes out is going to be public domain to begin with. You can buy print copies. We're going to print copies, but we're going to encourage the printing of copies on your own as well. It'll be public domain and. 
free PDFs will be available. So that's the bonus for getting on Patreon, but it's kind of going to be there anyway for the world at a certain point. Um, and so you're going to be making that happen. Uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it at that for today. Um, Mad Monday's newsletter, I'll talk about that later, but if you haven't signed up for it, it is the best thing I'm doing, I think. And I'm not even doing it. It's the best thing everybody else is doing. The news, if you want news and you want to have some semblance of discernment in the news, you got to get on Mad Mondays straight up. There's no other way around it. Um, I read it now. <laughs> I, I oversee the publication of it, and then I make sure I tune in to actually get the gist of it on Monday morning after it's all done. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing resource for ministry, for life, for everything. Mad Mondays, every Monday in your inbox. Um, it'll make you want at least one email. And by the way, if you haven't tried printing out emails to get out of your inbox, you really should do that. Like anything you got to just read, like a newsletter, just print it. Yeah, and get out of there. Take some notes on it then later. Um, all right, so Josh says this. I need a sip of water. Josh says, I would love for the good rev to explore more this notion that Christians cannot engage the faith systematically because we have lost the foundational story narrative of God's word. Who has lost it? But yeah, Christianity seems to have lost that as a foundational narrative for Christianity, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, because we have lost the capacity to understand how narrative works. Ah, ah. I think we lost a chicken before egg here, I'd say a little bit, but um, losing the story narrative of God's word has caused us to lose the capacity to understand narrative because we've rejected narrative uh, in the name of rejecting God's word. And so now the civilization seems to be bent on fulfilling that reality. Yeah. Um, But it's not as though uh, chicken before egg, it's not as though God's word is failing because narrative failed. It's the other way around. Right. We ceased believing the word, and so we've lost true narrative and have nothing but dystopic tragedy, right, as, as our as our story. Excuse me. So so our literature is supposed to he goes on, our literature is supposed to help us with all these things. I think, well, in theory, yeah. I think this is one of the things that C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Chesterton, Charles Williams, yeah, good names, Roger, Lasselin Green, Dorothy Sawyers, Gene Veith, and Anthony Esselin, and others I can't think of right now have been trying to resuscitate for 100 plus years. That's right. We need the arts. We need Christian arts straight up. Uh, and and not like, I'm going to get paid for it. <laughs> Just, I'm going to do something expensive and lose money making beautiful art because the church needs that, and that I'm going to maybe have someone else make it. I'll pay for someone else to do it so that we can have something beautiful done. Um to influence the world. And the reason we can't influence the world is we can't make movies and they're just too expensive. If we can make movies, we could really do some influence, but we don't have any capacity. And so that's where we think Lutherans, oh, we're this, we're that. No, we're not. Uh, there are there are groups that can afford to make movies that are Christians. And they, they make some poor ones. I think it's usually theological and they don't always have an understanding of the medium, media ecology, but it can be done. Um, and you, there have been times you can go find a really good documentary done by the Lutheran Layman's League, different organization, back in the 70s called Jeshua. It's about Jesus of Nazareth. It's it's a five-part miniseries that aired on national TV. Fantastic. I'm pretty confident that, that helped the gospel in a lot of people's lives at some point, even non-Lutherans. But um, somehow, doesn't matter how, we got we got to sing into the white noise, right? We got to get it out there because uh, that's who we are. And if we don't sing into the white noise, the white noise sings into us. And it doesn't sing a happy song. Uh, it sings an evil song. So, so the concept going on with Josh is, is that our best stories that we now call classics, whether deliberately or un- unwittingly, reflect the arch narrative of scripture. That's right, because white men wrote them. Um, <laughs> but that's, you know, how do you, how do you counter these things? Whether it is Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, yes, Stoker's Dracula, which, yeah, interestingly, isn't it? It's, it's got Christian themes. Um, the original, not the movies. Uh, Stowe's Uncle Tom's Camet, great, great book that is really worth, if you want to deal with racism, that's the way to do it, is understand it. 
you want to understand it, see it as, as root. Of course, you can do that by watching Antifa riots now these days, too. Uh, Wilde's uh, p- picture of Dorian Gray, a fascinating work indeed. Uh, Bronte's Wuthering Heights. Golly, you're just... I, I, some of these ones, not everyone's read, but my path led me to read them, too. Uh, Wuthering Heights, I probably should reread. That's like the worst book in my memory of ever reading. <laughs> it's a lady who's scared of a ghost alone on a heath because of her husband's dead wife. It was horror. I don't remember it. Wow. Uh, so, uh, Josh, hey, uh, Cliff Notes, one paragraph, Wuthering Heights. I'll put you in Illuminati next week on, on the Mad Mondays, a week from now, if you can do it. I'd love to highlight what makes Wuthering Heights a Christian symbol uh, as a, a paragraph. You get like five sentences max in the newsletter. Um, you're on it if you want it. Uh, anybody else, too? Uh, anybody else want to throw me Virgil's Aeneid? That'd be great, too. Oh, man. I, I tried picking up uh, the um, the Odyssey as toilet reading recently, because I'm trying to get off Twitter. I cannot get off Twitter. God help me. I cannot get off Twitter. It is so addictive. Um, I'm off mostly, but golly, the toilet is like, you got nothing else to do. So I'm trying to put um, good works of literature there. And I put the Odyssey there and I began rewriting the Odyssey within like two minutes. It's like, okay, so I can't, that's not going to work. <laughs> I can't stay on top of that. Uh, uh, so yeah, the trick with the older stuff is I just want to push it forward into the new medium so badly. I can't even, like the Aeneid, like all I want to do is see it as a movie that carries good themes in it. And especially now more than ever, we watched a little bit of Civil War, uh, Captain America Civil War, uh, uh, just the other night. And I was looking at it as a, with a post-COVID, post-Black Lives Matter, Marxism, chaos lens. And it's like just three years ago, we were all cheering for, for you know, um, Falcon and Cap to, to work together, you know, black and white. It, it's got the Americana going on. What happened? And part of me wants the movies and the sports back. And part of me is like, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Not until we fix this other stuff. We can't take no more Soma. I'm sorry. If you don't know Soma, you got to read 1984, which should be up here, although it's not the Christian narrative. It is the, is the collapse narrative. Um, and of course, okay, he goes on, you know, other works by Dante, Bunny, and yeah, yeah, yeah. All of it. Paradise Lost is fascinating the devil's perspective right ah really interesting all of these and more classics have measurable if not significant theological christological content and all these books are being subverted if not obsoleted by our public schools and higher education academics yes they are because you must erase history if you are going to rewrite history Uh, and that's what communism does it rewrites history does not keep history it destroys history fascism and communism both really um and speaking of vif he's got a book on modern fascism uh and he also i believe uh, conceives of islam as largely a fascistic movement um, but uh, yeah, uh, all resources worth your time. Um, you know, all right. So I, I heard an interview with Ken Kelly uh, on Tim Ferriss years ago. Sorry. It's so weird for me because I have to look at the camera in this really weird position to be straight here. Like, like it's just such a, I'm like hunched and all this stuff. But um, Ken Kelly is the guy who started Wired Magazine, which uh, – they, they conned me into a subscription for it. I never got the time to read it. It looks really good every time it comes. And I want to know what it says. I also know that the, the email from the, the chief editor that I get every week is just blatheringly fear, uh, no matter what. And, and he's, you know, stay inside every week is like his message. Like, come on, man. So let's talk about something else then. But um, Ken Kelly is the guy who started Wired. And the reason Wired took off is because it was a news magazine that understood the future of technology and focused on it. Uh, they, they, they knew where the internet was going before the internet was going there. And they focused on that news. Um, kind of like we at Mad Mondays know where society is going because of the rhyming of history and we know what Christianity does. And so you get that every week. But anyway, Ken Kelly, um, cause Mad Mondays is more of an E magazine than a newsletter. Uh, 
Ken Kelly started that years ago. He's he's like hyper famous in the in the intellectual circles of Silicon Valley, uh, a world traveler who basically does whatever he wants. He lives with the Amish somewhere. He's he built his own house and he was being interviewed by Ferris in that house in the library that he built and the conversation of the library that he built with his own hands in his own house he built with his own hands about uh, effectively agrarianism was that part of it is you must retain knowledge and frankly why would a guy the guy who's done more than anybody else in some ways to popularize digital media from a networked organic economic perspective why would he want paper library in his house a whole room full of books because he knows the dark ages are coming they're here you can still buy stuff right now wait till they take paper away in the name of environmentalism (laughs) you know uh, buy books now buy books now get your books get the good ones uh build a library uh, um, I used to be on the other side of this. I wanted to go full mobile. So maybe I'm overreacting the other way around and going full uh, agrarian on this. But it, um, either way, you need, you need a library. We need to retain knowledge. Christians have always done this, and the societies don't do it on their own until we teach them how, and they're busy tearing it down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for another podcast for another day, of course, it never ends. Uh, oh, goodness. This title looks scary to me. Um, phew, long one, too. Beth says this. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Thank you for your work. Uh, the whole area of gender confusion has certainly worked its way into hearts and minds of my dear sisters in Christ who attend my LCMS congregation. That's that's very sad. Are they just getting brainwashed every night for three hours? I mean, do they do they check in for their brainwashing? Because if they are, it's going to be very difficult to have a conversation about anything with them because they will uh, they will not commute uh, they will not compute after a certain number of sentences. Um, and you know, so, so conversations that require paragraph level information, the more you spend three to four hours a night listening to sentence level information, the less capable you are of drawing conclusions for yourself from the paragraph of conversation that is required for complex thought, which often is needed in order to retain the the war of good against evil. Um, so God bless you for caring about them enough to even say it the way you just said it, because it's true. And yet I'm going to just say right away, um, until we turn the brainwashing box off, at least in terms of we watch it with distrust every time. I never trust it ever. I turn on the TV. I distrust it until we do that. Um, just know they're, they're telling you what to think. And the Bible is not, um, in response, she says, I have slowly been writing out a Bible study for women that examines God's beautiful design and instructions for women within the body of Christ. That's marvelous. Um, the purpose of the study is to help readers discover God's gifts, uh, as opposed to establish a legalistic system. Yeah. It's so easy to turn it into like, but this is just the thing you have to, not you for a person to understand repentance and reform in their action they have to first be converted to grace. Otherwise, the Reformation will become but another idle structure of action. And so you can take the good, like a woman who once was a hyper-feminist abortion crazy, right, screaming snowflake, can then become the same woman who is a loving Christian mother, but will have a tendency to overreact into legalism in the other direction and be hyper-against, well, maybe even women's rights. Not necessarily that. But we all do this, and this is just, again, an example of the tension in our minds. When we, when we correct ourselves, we tend to overreact. Um, and so uh, the way we overreact is legalism, and we build it into the new right answer. And we, so we accept the right answer, but we accept the right answer wrongly with a self-justifying spirit. Until we are converted to a justified-by-Jesus spirit, which then can can do what you're doing. So good. I'm glad that's the, the style of Bible study you want to write. Writing Bible studies, I have found to be not pedagogically effective. They don't work. 
not when we write them and and I, it hasn't helped us in the last 50 years. We've weakened through this somehow. And maybe it's not just the Bible says, but it hasn't in, in its essence been strong enough. Um, writing a book that we would read. Isn't that interesting? So, so the number of people that go to Bible study in your church is probably four times the number of people who read books in your church. Does that sound about right? I'm just guessing out loud. Maybe there's a lot of people who read books and don't go to Bible study. Maybe it's only a quarter of the people who come to your Bible study read books. But if we all just read one book a year together, we'd do a lot more, I think, than, than all the Bible study fill in the blanks you can, you can string together forever. Um, but I, I, not to dissuade you, I love your purpose here. Um, Helping us discover God's gifts, uh, Bible verse between the topic, Genesis 1, 2, 3, which of course are key to all of that. Um, uh, da, 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 Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3. Yes, very key texts. Um, the process has been slow. Yeah, it would be. Uh, because of my primary responsibility to my family as the mother of five children, but I'm a homeschooling in addition to my part-time nursing job. That's that's no joke. Um, uh, but it is on my mind constantly. As I so desire my fellow Lutheran sisters to understand this, I don't want to see my church body as a whole fall into the chaos and confusion of the world because its members do not know what God's word says. I know. I agree. It may already be there, but I mean, good good people are working hard, but the institution, the ship, I mean, if you're just going to look at the ship, I'm looking at the ship, not the people. Okay. If you're going to make it about the people, you go ahead and do that. It's not personal to me. The ship's going down. <laughs> ship's going down. It, it got hit hard uh, and, and it got, it's getting hit harder and we don't even, the torpedoes are in the water. The bombs are coming. Uh, it's in the air. We're watching it. We're right in the way. The, so um, our churches is different than our, our institution. I think our churches will survive. I think a lot of them will, not all of them will, but some of them will. But the question is how much do you cling to the word of God and how much do you let the white noise brainwash you out of existence? Uh, so, uh, da, 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 da. I have another comment for you. I want to come back to you, but I completely agree with you. You listen to issues, et cetera, are good for you. Um, I take mental notes. This is it. This is it. This is it. I, I hate to say this. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'll say this over and over again. I don't believe in mysticism. I don't believe in, in juju, but I think I found my life's purpose as a vocation, as a man outside of the, I have to give all of this up to become a preacher to some extent. You don't really get to pursue what you want to do. Um, but I, I think I figured out what I teach. Like, it's, it's more like, you know how you're curious about something from childhood and ends up being the thing you always do? Maybe you don't know that if you're not in your 40s yet. And maybe I'm just making this up. I don't know. But it seems to me that over my lifetime as a young man, especially, boy, young man, I had a lot of goals. I had a lot of dreams. And the 30s has been learning about how to try to make all those happen. And the 40s has been about how I can only make a couple of those happen. And as that's happened, I've started to kind of really intellectualize the, the process. So what are the things that matter to me? What has risen to the surface as the, as the thing I've been studying my whole life without realizing it, right? Like people don't like learning because they think of school and books and tests, but people love learning when they're interested in the thing. How do I? What can I, right? So, so all of us have these natural inclinations. And I think I just finally figured out that my absolute congealing favorite idea is not just media ecology, but how to use it for your own personal growth and benefit. And I'm going to tell you right now, you've said it twice in this. Um, don't take mental notes. You must write, translate. Now, I'm going to go right at I'm consulting you right now on this, okay? So I'm going right at you. You're talking about doing dishes, listening to issues, et cetera. How do you take mental notes? That's the trick, ain't it? I mean, how do you take written notes? That's the trick. Um, what I would say is I would, if possible, make the front of my um, my refrigerator 
uh, as empty as possible, as clean as possible, and as whiteboard as possible. I'd have a whiteboard pen probably hanging from it in some way. Uh, I'd have it all be waterproof so I could walk over with my gloves that protect my hands from cracking in the winter when I do dishes, and I would write down the thought. Um, I would try to not write down every thought, but I would try over the course of the evening to have at least three or five serious, really good, juicy sentences that I want to think about one more time. And then when I'm all done, it'll take you less than five minutes. You take one four by six note card and a favorite pen that you love writing with, and you stop and you look at those things. You don't copy them. You craft five sentences anew out of the idea and let it linger because you will have had a bunch of other thoughts that you'll want to add to it. You let that linger and hang out there, and what'll happen is you'll find that within a couple of weeks, the notes on your refrigerator get better. They're going to be like, they're going to move from slop to like, like really cogent stuff. And then you're going to be taking that and you're going to be asking, what do I do next? And hopefully um, you'll be able to find where I'm talking about that. <laughs> uh, Stop the white noise potentially being, being that place, right? Uh, one of the podcasts that I do. Uh, definitely talking about how do you then take that information to the next thing? How does it apply to your sister's? What it's going to do is it's going to make you a more cogent listener, thinker, responder, and actor at the end of the day, uh, so that you will notice the nuances in their conversation that they don't notice and be able to either ignore them or avoid them with your own mm, more enlightened view, which you just have to believe prevails. That when you're talking to somebody, even if they've been trained to never learn, never talk in more than Twitter, right? Like they don't got more than two sentences in a conversation before they're done. Which, again, we're training ourselves technically to do this. So I don't think I'm out on a limb by suggesting that it's two sentences. Maybe it's seven. I don't know. But it's pretty darn close. And, and, and if you're just watching the tube all the time, it's getting shorter every time you do it. And if you're on Twitter or the Internet all day, it's still just getting shorter. They, you know, just getting shorter. So to get a longer attention span... To train yourself to think through not two sentences, mental note, one sentence, that's all you can get. You barely will get two. If you write it down, you're going to end up with three or five sentences. And now when you're in a conversation, you can say so much more, so much more. It's gold. I tell you, it's gold. Now to push this back into your Bible study, um, you're already writing for that. What I just said can also be used to write a book in a much more fluid way than the work you've probably been doing. I'm sure it's all marvelous, but um, uh, uh, it is so hard to, to organize by category the way you're doing, as opposed to, uh, to let the pile congeal. Um, but that's a different topic and it has to do with information management, which isn't your, your point. Your point here is that you want our body to be getting this information. I'm telling you that your own information management as a human being is key to your discernment and your discernment is key to your confession and your confession is key to your neighbors believing rightly because your enlightened confession must come with light that they don't have and shine upon their darkness right? To apologize, not say you're sorry, but to defend the truth because it is in fact better. It's not just like it's a, it's a truth lie fight and they're evenly matched. The lie is we're unevenly matched by being so evenly matched that I might win. But the truth is pipsqueak, man, crush you. (laughs) Uh, That's the truth of our God. And the LCMS as an institution, just as an institution, doesn't believe that as an institution. 
How do you make an institution do that? Well, that's about the movements of peoples and groups. And this is like the study of decades and half centuries of stuff. And it, you can't control it. It happens when a professor says something weird and then 15 people go and make it weirder. And, and it, that just happens. You know, that's what education does in many ways. So the closest thing to turning the LCMS around is a 20 to 50 year project. I'm just talking financially. I, we, I just don't think we have that time. But we do have the time for individual Christians that are Lutherans that love the LCMS and what it stood for as a flag once upon a time. Uh, that we would do what it stood for as a flag once upon a time, which is imbibe the, the scriptures. I mean, the main thing CPH existed to do was print like curriculum for your kids to memorize the Bible at home. Uh, you know, uh, that kind of thing, uh, that'll survive. And we got to get behind it. So your Bible study is completely sweet in that regard. Although, again, I'm going to recommend a book. Write a book. Um, I would love for a pastor as the time to go through what I have written with a fine tooth comb as my greatest fear is that I will write something that is heterodox. That's understandable. I would love to have it published by CPH. Not that I could make a name for myself or any money from it. <laughs> don't, don't be so self-effacing. Um, but uh, so that our church would grow. Yeah, obviously. So, um, uh, CPH is always looking for authors who write stuff like this. Um, I am going to just suggest you call CPH, uh, find the phone number on the internet, uh, ask for Laura Lane. And this is only for Beth. If anybody else does this, I'm gonna I'm gonna say you lied. Um, but for Beth, ask for Laura Lane. Tell her Jonathan Fisk sent you. Tell her you have a book that you would like CPH to consider. Um, and hopefully, my relationship with Laura will be sufficient for her to say, "Oh, I'd love to see it." So um, uh, go that route there. As terms of you know, CPH's editor system will have pastors that are working in the capacity you're asking for. But uh, pastors who are out there watching, anybody want to contact Beth and have have a go at, at, at influencing the direction of this work she's talking about? Uh, uh, send us a contact at redfist.com slash contact, and we'll try to put you in touch with Beth. You guys can work on the project together. And I'll even, if you do that, I'll throw in my pile of notes uh, for a book on woman that I have been carrying around with me uh, for, oh, good, 15, 18 years. And I'll consult you on the project with those notes because um, a lot of what you've got laid out here is what I've got, and, and I've got some ideas for it. So I'd love to I'd love to team work on it with you too, but I can't write anything <laughs> and I can't read anything. I just have to listen and talk. Um, so uh, I got my own projects otherwise. But I'm happy to bring my old project that won't get done into your project and put it under your name first with mine underneath it. And that's good for everybody. It's called A Rising Tide Lives All Ships. Talk to Laura Lane first, and, and let's go from, from there. Um, so uh, let's see here. What time have we got? 10? 10. I've been ignoring the side. I know there was a super chat. So let's, let's take a little moment here. Oh, we can do this here, right? Is it, is it that one? Nope, that was really wrong. That was silly. I just want to do this. Well, I almost had it done. <laughs> I got to build like a, so everything's set up like right here. Oh, that's probably the screen I'm looking at. I'm like, my screen's here. My camera's here. And I, I don't know that I can fix that. Maybe I should move the camera. Um, but it's too far away. So my keyboard, I just hit the space bar at full length. That's my, uh, my wireless keyboard. And then my, MacBook, through which I run everything through a, a, a hub, um, is sitting down below, and I can see that as well. And the, the crazy thing is, right now, the standing desk help I have is so small that with everything else up here, I have to reach way down here to do a mouse or, or use the laptop mouse. Um, I need to build a keyboard that's solid enough or a holder that comes like, or buy one or find one, whatever, that comes way out here. But then we have this angle thing, and I need the light. There's so much to do here. 
So one thing at a time, I mean, if I succeed at one improvement every week to Mad Christianity as a show, I, I consider myself fairly successful. Um, and I continue to believe you're here mainly for what I'm saying and less for what it looks like. <laughs> Although I really wanted to look cool because I like building cool stuff. And now I still haven't turned off this. Oh, for pity's sakes. Let's try this again. Oh, I go over here. Hold on. I still haven't taken water. I'm going to drink water. That was supposed to happen during the break. I'm going to grab my notepad which is right here. I'm going to make a note to fix <laughs> smart noting. Take long notes, not short notes. Don't say, what would I say before? I would say something like um, super chat fix, right? So, okay. But then when I see that note, I have to spend energy, willpower, even you can call it ego, um, retranslating and understanding what I wrote because it's so unclear. Or if I would pause right now and just understand and rewrite it now, it'll actually give me energy. Um, and then when I find it later, that energy will still be there. So what I'm going to write down is uh, I am going to to fix Super Chat Dissolve on Ecamm by Googling how to change settings. For what though? For it's, what are these things called? For overlays, uh, overlay settings. See, I could say it better already, but now that note has a better chance of getting done in a week than a shorter note does because it's clear. Smart noting, this is the Sonka Aaron's book, just says, well, if your first note wasn't clear, do it again. <laughs> Make it clear and do it right away, right? Um, it's a really marvelous tool in any case. I want to get to your actual super chat because that's what we're talking about is super chats. Jedi Knight, I can always count on you to super chat me, uh, says this. He says, a gentle introduction to Minius Moldbug. It sounds <laughs> it sounds like a, a Harry Potter name. Uh, Minius Moldbug. Oh. Listeners, it just vanished again because I forgot uh, the easy way to do it. Um A gentle introduction to Mencius Moldbug by the distributist. It's about an hour long and touches on this topic of libraries and dark ages. That's really cool. Uh, also, K, K, um, the Foundation series. Ooh, now I read Foundation one and I think two. Uh, God, I was in my twenties, and I did it for one reason alone. If you never heard of Foundation, is it Isaac Asimov? I think it's is it his, um, or is it pre him? It is. Uh, it's a sci-fi series that tracks humanity through centuries by basically having like fifth or, or quarter length book stories, fifth, fifth length book stories. So you get like a couple stories. I forget how many it is in each book, but they're all different. And I didn't like it for that reason. Cause I didn't know that going in. And so as soon as I was getting used to one character, it like shifted to the future. And there's a different character. I'm like, Oh, well, I don't care about this. If I'd known that I might've cared because I could see what it was doing. It was building the idea of an ideology over time and how mythology happens. The reason I read it is because on some list of the best 100 books ever read, written in fantasy, sci-fi, fiction, all that, you know, uh, Tolkien got number two and someone put foundation number one. I, I don't know. Maybe you can convince me otherwise, but I just don't know how you do that in terms of reality. M maybe it was more meaningful as a book, but it just didn't win the popularity contest. So it can't be number one. But anyway, uh, foundation. Yeah, um, that, that would be cool. The idea of the library showing up in that, I do not remember that, but I recommend Go read Foundation if you can, and we should have a movie series about it made by Lutherans. Why not? Um, or uh, go check out this, again, A Gentle Introduction to Mencius Moldbug. 
We'll see if they can get that as a link in Mad Mondays. Probably not by this Monday, but sometime in the next couple of weeks. I have no idea what that's about. So there's your free commercial for ten bucks. Free, free. Your ten buck commercial. Um, but cool. Uh, the Jedi here. It's pretty good at finding gold. So I imagine that that is worth anybody's time that figures out how to follow it. And I will if it comes across my plate again. Uh, bu- 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 I don't even watch anything anymore, though. Just got to make it. Got to make it. Got to make it. Got to make it. All right. So um, how are the rest of you doing down in there? Um, we got some more. We got a lot more from the previous weeks that I want to go to rather than this week's comments. But I want you to know that I know you're there and I'm not ignoring you. Uh, oh, this is a good question. Another CPH question here. Um, let's stand in front of broken for CPH. Here we go. Does that work? And why is the light better when I'm not in the light? That's weird too. All right. Um, <laughs> hi. Uh, good afternoon, Ray Fisk. I am Task Lisa with teaching theology to our high school, 9 to 12, this year here at Peace. To start the school year off, we will be going through Echo via the book and the CPH faith course. Cool. As such, I would like to use much of the artwork in the book to help teach the course via PowerPoint. Is there any avenue I could take to use the artwork? Thanks for all you do for the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, from the very beginning, have encouraged my friends at Concordia Publishing House to make that available. I have a folder with all of it in it, but technically it belongs to them. So I'm allowed to use it because I'm the author of the book and I'm technically not supposed to give it to you. I know that taking pictures on your phone and using, at least on Apple, the basic preview, you can turn them into pretty decent pictures for your presentation if you want to. Um, uh, You could also just draw your own. So all those pictures were originally stick figures. They were not nearly as cool. So I don't know if I still have all my original stuff. Oh, I got to move this now. Uh, how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I do it? Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like, this is you, right? Here's God. Uh, here's two, three, right? I haven't done this for a long time, but that's how I would teach it. So I, I still will teach it that way if I ever, you know, come, go and teach it somewhere. Um, and so there's no reason not to just do that on the board, right? Or just draw your own or find some other character you just use, like, like clip out Sonic the Hedgehog and like make him move around with like lightning bolts and stuff. You know, why not? Um, uh, but also just contact CPH. I don't know who you talk to there. Um, marketing maybe, uh, and and say, Hey, look, I really want to do this. I'm going to put all this together. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, you could make this available. I want to buy this from you. I like buying things from you, (laughs) uh, and, and encourage them to, to make it available, but I otherwise just make your own or, uh, pirate it, I guess, you know, I, I don't mind if you pirate my work. You're not gonna hurt my feelings. You know, CPH doesn't like that idea and I cannot advocate, uh, it, but, um, you're not going to hurt me either in my mind. So, um, not by taking the pictures, <laughs> like you're just promoting the book. Uh, so, uh, does that help? I hope that helps. Dear Pastor Fisk, how would you answer someone who is pro euthanasia, who says that Christians are misguided in being pro life, um, and who cites COVID-19 as an example of God not protecting life? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd have a conversation with this person. Uh, thanks for helping me not wall in the mug and stand on the rock rock on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lynn, no problem. Um, Again, this person doesn't want to have a conversation with you. They do not want to engage in thought. They want to beat you down with a, with a narrative, right? They just want to get you to shut up. But if someone came at me hardcore and – I mean they, they usually do it more like this. It's like, oh, you guys are all pro-life until, until uh, you know, um, uh, the, the death penalty. Uh, you're all pro-life until the baby's born. Um, all of that stuff, that's, that's, like, that's like playground right? Pencil neck, you hit me with the ball. Um, that's not a conversation. 
to, to claim that all pro-lifers don't care about unadopted black babies is, is pretty reckless, I think, to say that. Um, and then, I mean, it, so if, if she thinks we're misguided for being pro-life, it's, I mean, what's the argument? Just just all the normal arguments? Well, I would give the normal argument that um, you're misguided for thinking babies aren't humans. <laughs> That's really weird of you. Uh, I don't know how in any scientific way you've come to this conclusion. You're, oh, the textbooks. No, the textbooks don't say that. And the pictures that do say that are lies. They're not even real. They're still in some of the kids' textbooks, not usually at the at the big level, though. I mean, it's really cool to see the Atheists for Life march with, like, I believe because the textbook tells me so. They're pro-life, and they don't trust the Bible, but the etymology—not etymology. What was it? It's the embryology textbook. My embryology textbook tells me so. That was at the March for Life. Um, it's it's evident. So you go ahead and and and— Parrot Don Lemon and Chris, Chris Cuomo all you want, right? You let you let Joe Biden and his need to be king run your understanding of humanity, if you like. Uh, you let uh, Margaret Sanger and her racist hatred for the blacks and her, her, her organization Planned Parenthood that does not think black babies' lives matters in the least, except for in terms of money and, well, if you got to sell baby blood somewhere, you got to get it somewhere. You know, that reality... You go ahead and keep doing that. I'm going to think that the babies are babies and you just call me crazy. Go ahead. I'm a weirdo. I'm like the Amish. I think babies in the belly are babies and you don't. You think, but you don't think any humans are a human because you want to kill the, the older people too, right? So euthanasia, this is a fun one, right? Okay, cool. Euthanasia. Who gets to make the rules for euthanasia? You? Can, I'm all for it if I get to make the rules. And my rules are everyone who's in favor of euthanasia dies first. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, well, you're suffering. You think euthanasia is a good idea. You evidently have a suffering life. You evidently are not happy. So clearly, it would be better to put you out of your misery. Because that's your philosophy, if that's what you think. And so I'm just going to say to you, that's what you think. Why do you think that? That's really weird. I would think it'd be better to trust in the Lord and to know that death will come. I also think that those who are for euthanasia and pushing this agenda are the same people who spent a lifetime using the pharmaceutical industry to prop up bodies that we probably should just let die. I'm fine to put mine up for trial, right? I mean, I've said this openly enough to my wife, to my parents, to my, to my congregation, I believe. There's going to come a day where the doctor's going to say, take this pill or you die. And I'm going to be like, cool, I'm dying. Because <laughs> I know what that pill does because I've studied it. And I don't want the side effects and five more years of pain. I mean, <laughs> You know, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? Pro-euthanasia is fear of death. That's what it is. And we have nothing to be afraid of in death. Now, uh, now my favorite of all of this is a COVID-19 is an example of God not protecting life. That's the best. Yes, obviously, um, God's job is to make sure nobody dies. And he's failed so miserably that he's not had one success story. Well, wait, there was that one guy, right? And then there were the two other guys. But other than that, your view of God is clearly either not that God or or he's really just bad at his job, right? Because when people die, God's not protecting life. As if the people who got COVID wouldn't die someday if they hadn't gotten COVID. It's so nonsensical. It's so without a worldview that actually exists. It's so I live in my apartment and I sip Starbucks and I get money from other people, but I've never had to fend for myself. I got no skin in the game. The skin in the game knows that, well, you can't just make that kind of accusation about any religion to begin with. You know every religion is complicated and has people who are authentically good people. It's ridiculous to make that kind of a claim. You sound like Trump, for pity's sakes. Not you, writer, 
But that's what I would, you know what? I think that's what I'm going to say. Oh, wow. You sound like Trump. That's a fun one. Can we inject that into civilization? Every time somebody yells at you in the name of liberalism, liberalism, just tell them, wow, you sounded like Trump just now. And when they say, what? Because that's what they're going to say. Say, yeah. Like the way you talk, you sound just like him. Because they do. And they don't know it because they've been brainwashed by the, by the boob box to shout the way it shouts at them. So what do I say to this person? I don't know what I say to this person. Like I said at the start, I don't want to have a conversation with this person until this person says, you know, I really want to understand why you're so crazy. And I, I assume you're not evil and you're crazy um, and you have good reasons for it. And I want to understand those. Now I can talk about all of this with you. You know, I, if you want to just shout at me that God isn't protecting life, I'm going to tell you that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God is indeed killing all of us as a punishment for the fact that we hate him. And if you were a good God, I'm pretty sure you'd do the same thing to the evil things that hated you for the sake of all the good that remained. And the fact that we aren't just wiped away is quite phenomenal. So what we're, what we're experiencing is we get to watch the death that, that you would think would just be kind of a moment of wrath. And instead, it's being really slow. And you would think, oh, it's torture. But no, it's not torture. It's being done so we can save you from it. <laughs> like, like it's actually the process of pulling you out of it before it burns. So God's not protecting life because Andrew Cuomo sent a bunch of COVID patients into a bunch of nursing homes and killed you know a big chunk of people in his state. Jeez. Oh, I love it. The white noise. If you let them dictate the terms of the engagement, you will lose. And that's why I wouldn't have this conversation. It's dictated in terms of engagement. They're, they're, you're on their playing field. So I would say, you want to know about euthanasia? How about we just go back and read the Sermon on the Mount together? You want to know about pro-life? Let's read Psalm 127 and 128 and then maybe 137. Is it 37? 137 together. Let's just read that. You could know why I think what I think. Uh, why do I think God is not protecting life? Uh, uh, let, let's just go to Genesis 3 and like deal the whole thing. Uh, look, we, we had life and we killed ourselves. And adding more suicide via euthanasia, euthanasia isn't going to fix the problem. you know. So, But the, the, the challenge is we now live with really, oh, this is key. I've forgotten about this. I didn't write it down. My wife and I realized this when we were on vacation last week. As we were trying to have conversations with those whom we love, who don't always agree with us politically. And what I started to realize is that there are, there is emerging at least in an uh, American conversation, at least two distinct dialects of English that cannot communicate with each other. They actually can't talk to each other because they don't have the same words. They've both redefined the words so much they're not speaking the same language. It's a true dialect. And we can call it Republican Democrat if we want to. Uh, but it, but it's real, it's real, and so to to shout at each other in one sentence bits in different dialects can't possibly resolve anything. All it can do is be confusing, which is what it is. Uh, to resolve a dialect, you have to have a longer conversation, right? and the nuance of communication is is always like this. This is the mediocrity of words itself. But especially now, um, we're having Americans trained to believe different things. Freedom means different things to different people. Um, America, as a word, is is being changed to mean a different thing entirely. And it's a whole different language. It's a whole different language. And so trying to have that conversation, unless they want to slow down and think through something different than the TV told them, 
which I've just experienced in my life. Most people, if they haven't had this, this like awakening of, um, oh, look, I've been controlled by this thing for a long time. Um, if they haven't had that, they cannot disagree with what the TV said. They can't do it, which is scary. That means it's your God. Yeah, whether you know it or not. And of course, the felicitous inconsistency of Christianity means Christians can have this happen to them without going to hell, but it's not good for the community. It's like it for them, right? It's like it for them. Oh, I keep knocking my book over. It's not even my book. Uh, my studio. All right. So, so that was the best I could do on that for what it was worth. I don't feel like that was real great. Don't, don't, don't. Uh, have you run across Pastor Fisk, these black, different black voices, black intellectual roundtable discussing why is and what's of USA situation? Something that is unlikely to be on normal networks. These were not matched up with politically correct on the white noise TV. Correct. Uh, I'm curious when you receive, when you, uh, I am curious when you stress receiving the sacrament of the altar frequently that you haven't mentioned the time I've heard you, the importance of thoughtfulness of the substance of the message of Jesus meal to those who attend. Oh, well, that's because I'm not a pietist. I'm not worried about trying to make you do it right when you get there. I'm just glad you're there. And if you're a, if you're a hypocrite, then it's going to be on you and my preaching should wake you up without me having to talk about how what you do when you come to the supper over and over again is is a certain thing. That's your pastor's job, by the way, uh, is to tell you that when you're confirmed and brought to the supper, his job is to walk you through what you do then, right? And it's it's kind of intimate stuff in some ways. So yeah, I don't, I don't bring it up. What I emphasize is the objectivity of the matter, that you can actually stumble into church half asleep Deal with your crying baby the rest of the morning. Miss everything that was said. Get the supper and walk away fully sanctified by the act that Jesus did to you that day. And know it already because you already believe those words. And even though you didn't hear them that day, it doesn't make them less true, nor does it make the event less true. And so no, I don't emphasize the pondering of the moment because all that does is make a man-made law that gives guilt to consciences. Even though I do believe firmly and encourage Christians to, as they come up, consider what they might consider, whether it be their sin or the cross, just as Luther teaches in the Catechism. But I, I, I really don't consider it a primary point of doctrine because so much was done a generation ago to make people prepare for the Lord's Supper that we stopped caring about the Lord's Supper. <laughs> it's like, and, and it's just, that, that ain't gonna help. So, um, so I really, I, I like your question though, as a whole. Um, there's a lot of good stuff there. I just disagreed a little bit at the end. Uh, the, the um, what I have not seen these guys. This is awesome. This is Brett Weinstein's Dark Horse podcast. I should look into that. I should look. I, I've, I've done some of stuff with Eric, but I haven't followed into Brett more. What I've been encouraged about, and I do spend time on Twitter, and I do retweet stuff, and the reason I retweet political stuff is because I think it's worth knowing, and I try to find first source things rather than just pure propaganda, although I'm sure sometimes I, my meter isn't off, isn't on as well as it could be either. But what I've been encouraged to see is the black conservative movement. There are black men and women who really believe in America, and they're talking, and it's fantastic, and there's more of them, and they're talking to their 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 communities about it, and they're using this opportunity to to go public, and I think that's great. It's amazing how much of their community would prefer to just yell racial slurs at them. Uh, it's 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 an animal like response, but then again, the boob tube makes you that. So <laughs> this is not particular to skin color. This is particular to being raised on no writing. And yeah, the black education system in America is pretty atrocious. And if you think the answer is throwing more money at it, then you're an idiot. Because we've thrown so much money at it, it's, it's, it's insane. But what we haven't ever done is undo the changes Dewey put into it in the first place. 
And then recognize that, well, you got to pay teachers the same all the way across, right? If you want good teachers, you need good teachers who can teach the content and not just get doctorates in education and social justicing from, <laughs> from all these universities at all these, uh, the bubble cost that is done to the economy, the building that's going to, who's going to be living in these multi-million dollar dorms in 20 years? They're going to be either completely empty or overrun. I mean, I don't even know. There's just not that many kids coming up behind to fill them. This is why Concordia Portland closed. If you read the stories that are actually published. They've been in debt for so long, pushing it forward through building projects and moving this bubble over here. Like 30 years of this thing. You just can't keep it up after a while. And there are some universities that do have these these funds that are like, you know, cosmically wealthy. I think Princeton, Harvard, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of them, man, there's going to be empty buildings. They're going to be empty buildings. Mm. It's a terrifying thing. And yet it's not. You know Why? Is your church where Jesus is will not be empty because you're going to be there. But I would love, I would love, I would love to listen to this. I probably should. I am so happy to hear other ethnic groups come, uh, not not come. They're already there. I'm glad to hear the, the dark web, the intellectual dark web of ethnic groups revealing the enlightened understanding that so many American citizens have and have been working for in pockets and what we need now is to get that back into the mainstream. And that's what the dark web's trying to do. Um, the mainstream won't let it do that because the mainstream's not built on information. The mainstream's not built on truth. The mainstream's built on money. M- men crave power. Uh, the mainstream is built on advertising. I'm not built on advertising. I'm built on you giving me money because you think what I said should be said again. Yeah? Uh, that is not how nightly networks work. It's not, well, you like the truth from downtown that helps you understand what's going on in your, in your, in your town. Like that's what it was built on at one point, but now, no, now it's about marketing dollars. It's about retaining the big buildings they built, the, 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 the towers to, to the media industry of, of the press that were built across this country that are the most expensive buildings there are and very difficult to maintain. You think churches have trouble printing stations. I mean, New York Times, they, they, staying in business. Uh, when you get that big, too big to fail, it's too easy to fail when you're that big. It's too easy to fail. Uh, large churches. How are you doing? I haven't heard much about large churches reopening. My congregation is not what you call a large church. not what you really call a small church either. It's a family church is what you would call it. Um, no problem getting bigger, but, but or getting smaller even, I suppose. But the, the real thing is um, we in the, in the hiccup of COVID didn't miss a beat because we kind of all know each other. Uh, whereas the larger churches, you break 300, right? You don't really know each other. I'm really curious what the reboot looks like because these big buildings are not cheap. The reason we had to do what we did in the last two years here is because that building was going to drown us. And, and thankfully, that's not the case anymore. Uh, but there's a lot of that out there in brand new spanking buildings that just got built. I mean, how hard is that to deal with? And so I'm really curious uh, to hear from you via contact pages and whatnot, you know, your corners of the country. Um, we're also curious at Mad Mondays to to have you be reporters on the ground, eyewitnesses, first sources, use some video, send it to revfist.com slash contact. We want to know what's going on in the corners. We, I got an eye on Portland in the Northwest because of all the Antifa stuff, but California, what's going on in California for you Lutherans? Texas, what's it like? I know Texas is different, but, you know, you hear the news. Oh, we're rising cases. And you hear the news, oh, but deaths are down. And well, okay, but what's life like where you are? And what have you been able to see? Are statues burning outside your window? Um, you know, do you have video footage? Mad Mondays wants, wants you to be part of not just an e-magazine, but a movement to enlighten Lutherans everywhere with what's actually going on on the ground and to focus more on, okay, here's what I saw. And then at times there'll be a theological comment on it. But the, the real goal here is like, look, 
this is important to us. What I think is so great about the way that Frisbee handles her section of of Mad Mondays is it isn't just like, here's clickbait. It's here's clickbait that connects to a bigger picture that is actually real, that we've been talking about week in and week out for a while, which is ultimately the story of the Bible. Yeah. So that, uh, to be part of that, not only in terms of receiving it, but to consider yourselves as part of it, that's what the Illuminati section is for. And again, we're not, we're not above uh, receiving your good work and using our platform to make it public. And let me just say that one more time. Insofar as anything I'm doing at Mad Christianity exists, the goal is to build a network of humans who support each other's products, projects and have a mutual platform for promoting them at which I effectively act as the CEO of orthodoxy content, so far as I'm concerned, and as uh, as the cool style ready to go out publicly on the front page content versus, you know, you got this going on in the sub network and you got a bunch of friends looking at it, but we're not ready to go public with it yet. The platform is here for you. I am here, Lutheran, for you, for your message, but you have to create it in such a way that it can dovetail into the platform. The way to do that is to get connected to the Mad Mighty Network and talk to Frisbee about what you want to do if you've got a, a particular idea. But we would love to air your videos um, uh, pre-edited. Uh, we would love to, to air or, or publish your thoughts and all this kind of stuff. Again, we're not going to publish everything you get, um, but we are a platform for sharing Christian worldview reality. And actually, I wrote it down. I got to get that one on another card. I wrote this one down and I wanted to move it onto two cards. And, uh, and I'm still not sure which, which place to keep this information in my, in my little T-system I have. Um, but the idea is that Mad Mondays is a data mining resource. We mine data. I have an opinion. There's an opinion of Christianity in Frisbee stuff. But, but the goal is to just let you have a view of all the white noise that isn't driven by the need to make money, but it's driven by its impact on and with and in engagement with Christianity, right? Um, so you can say, oh, well, that one did matter, right? That one didn't make sense. I want to write that down, that kind of thing. So uh, for what that's worth, uh, Weinstein's podcast got me onto that. Yeehaw, Jonathan. It's late in the morning and we still got more to do. This one says, here is a Twitter thread that I think may be of interest to you. It details how we lost the cultural civil wars because we let academia define truth. Well, I believe that. I, I would wait. I would say this tweet gets at the heart of the thread. And it's from Zero HP Lovecraft. It's kind of cool. His at is quite interesting. At OX. 49FA98. Sounds like Elon's next kid. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, basically, oh, he says this. Uh, Zero says this. Focal, who is a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, like Derrida, is a postmodern philosopher linguist. Uh, Foucault taught that power, I think that's right, uh, he taught that power does not inhere in individuals, but in networks of people. Yeah, Veltz taught this stuff at the Sam about the creed. It's kind of right and it's kind of wrong. Uh, it's got some understanding to it, though. That's the danger of postmodernism. It's not an entirely incorrect critique. It just overplays its hand. We always do. Overreaction. Talked about that earlier. Um, so, that you know, he teaches that truth, power, comes in mobs, right? <laughs> Networks. Uh, and it manifests between everyone and everyone at all times. It cannot be possessed, only enacted. And that it coerces by manufacturing truth, right? So, so his idea is there is no truth. There is only power and that my stories are powers to keep you under. And you can, you can like kick at this a little bit, um, uh, philosophically. And I'm not sure what it was doing in the, in the tweet storm, but I can tell you this. It's true. Truth is God's power enacted and coerced as creation itself. But not on creation, but as creation, 
Like that's how it was created. Like his truth enacted, or the power of him enacted being by saying that it was right. So he's actually quite right about the ultimate reality. But then he's going to like use this to make the mob like God, right? <laughs> this is really a bad idea. Uh, so so um, going on with Jeff's comment though, he says basically I may be wrong. Uh, the idea is that power is distributed throughout society. Which is true. This is what the vocation of father, mother, family, household, uh, uh, fathers of communities and whatnot is about. There is a distribution of power according to the created order. Now, in our society, we see institutions, media, everyday life, and it enacts itself on us in small, subtle ways. Yes, and every word that is spoken is, again, a story, an idea, an electrical node that is trying to move you into either, well, honestly, the Word of God or the devil. So that's what it really comes down to. That's why the discernment in the battle is real. It's not just about whether you like Google or whether you like China uh, or whether you like Biden or whether you don't. It's really about whether or not the devil's got your ear. That's what it's really about. Uh, Christians have lost the culture war. Did we ever even have a chance to win it? Uh, to progressivism? Yeah, I guess so. It's just not that easy. There's no one culture. It's, there's so much subculture going on. Uh, the death cult, I'm, I'm with you on that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the pedophilic death cult in the political realm among these parties, and I don't know who's involved, but islands were definitely involved and people committing suicide. That's just ridiculous. You know what I'm talking about. And the girl, I mean, is she still alive? She, she's she been in jail for like six days. Um, you know, the lady who helped him do all this, the mistress of the island of the pedophilia, crazy Clinton and whatnot, right? All that? You didn't dig on that at all. You just let it fly by. Oh, Don Lemon didn't mention it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't get it from Fox News. I don't watch Fox News. I mean, recently I've done Tucker Carlson's like five times, right? Because he really made sense when he was talking about toppling statues. <laughs> Any case. Um, death cult. Yeah. You know, the slave trade, the sexual slave trade in America that we ignore, uh, dealing with young women primarily, uh, but also young boys and the, and the uber wealthy who can buy, who can buy humans. It's not just the Saudi Arabian princes and oil moguls that do it. It's here. And well, Trump's actually talked about it, which I mean, who knows, but like, like even that's not good enough. No, it's wrong. You can't, we can't do that. Right. Cause, cause it's just, it's just no Trump. We're going to shout never Trump for four years. And no matter what happens to the country, we're going to shout it until we knock Trump off, which is why I maintain that a third party conversation is the most important thing possible. We need an objective middle that says you two sit down. Trump's just running scared. I think right now, I don't know. Does he ever get scared? Uh, but his, his followers are, they're always going to lose in November and the world's going to end. So I, I try to imagine what it'd be like if Hillary were, Clinton, or were president right now. And somehow I think it'd all be really peaceful. We'd have a lot of really awful, like, uh, fiscal problems. Financial things would be getting worse for everybody by regulation. They'd be just importing bad economic policy worse. And then if you were particularly standing against certain agendas, like the homosexual transgender lobby, which has gotten smothered in all the rest of this stuff, um, then, then, uh, you know, you would have maybe had a loser taxes status or something, right? Like that's what was going to be bad then. And now it's like, oh, dark ages, civil war. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Like, Like, I'll go back. Is this really just the Democrats not being able to handle Trump for four years? They didn't make up COVID, I don't think. But the rest of it seems, well, it seems odd the more I look at it. But it's not as though the Republicans have been such great leaders through any of this. So please don't hear me saying that that's great. I'm talking third party here. Hello. Um, and But I just, I just can't get on the Trump did everything bad bandwagon either. He's been, at the very least, a, a modest president. Uh, for all of his convoluted inability to speak, but he speaks American pretty well because everyone listens to him on one side and they know what he means because he speaks that language that I was talking about earlier, yeah? Uh, so, uh, 
Any political pushback against the death cult is doomed to fail because we no longer have the power to push back culturally. Um, we never had it. I don't think so. I don't think coming out of, again, I mean, who, who's got the books on this that didn't get burnt? Uh, coming out of the 30s and the collapse of Wall Street the first time into World War II and FDR's three-term, nigh-four-term reinventing of America on the back of the Civil War's oppression of the states because the states were doing really evil stuff, but it kind of never put the check back onto the executive branch again um, from the from the Congress, not, not quite the same way. Uh, it, that reality now, well, it leaves us without a single reality. <laughs> and we should know this. We're a microculture ourselves as Lutherans. We're not a single reality. Uh, even within Lutheranism, there's there's divisions. So to think that we're going to have one culture project that undoes or does the whole culture, I mean, this is like the Reformed belief that the Word of God is going to build a kingdom on earth. And not all Reformed believe this, but some who call themselves Reformed do believe this. And so it's hard to distinguish since you guys don't have real clear categories all the time. But some Reformed do believe that the... <laughs> That, uh, you know, the gospel, which is Jesus, which we preach and we agree upon, it's in fact the stone in Daniel uh, 7, is it 7, that hits the mountain? Uh, it's not 7. And, uh, sorry, hits the statue, breaks the statue, becomes a great mountain, covers the earth. And they say, well, therefore, the church and its message will cover the earth completely and we'll have a society that's like a millennium before Christ comes back. This is and leans into millennialism, the belief that there's going to be a reign of Christ on earth, which is a Jewish myth, actually. Uh, not reign of Christ, but reign of Messiah on earth, a thousand years, all that kind of stuff, not symbolically. Oh my gosh, I went so far into that tangent. I don't know if I can ever get back again from it. I don't think I can. But I know, I know that the antidote to all of the white noise is always not my piling together of a navigation through it. It is always the acknowledgement that the white noise is, is so big and so complete that I cannot possibly understand all of it. I'm a creature. How could I understand God, let alone one planet? <laughs> right? We're all trying to do that, and we're all thinking Twitter and NBC and Fox have got the line up on what the truth of the matter is. They shout at each other. And again, it's all about getting in November. It's all about uh, getting elected. Uh, if Trump wins, it's going to keep going for four more years. If Trump doesn't win, it might get really peaceful. We might get back on the streets. And that should tell you something. If that's what happens, it really should. And it's not good, but it is what it is. What it is, is that there's not one American culture. And this is, again, the comment and returning to it with all that thought coming forward now, right? Uh, there are many. And let me just say that for the last 45 years, the LCMS has been on a strategic disassembling of its culture. Half of us have been trying to disassemble the culture to rebuild a new one to, quote unquote, reach the lost in this culture. Not recognizing you already were part of this culture. You don't have to change anything other than just retain your unique DNA as Lutheran culture in the midst of all of this other stuff. It's quite possible to do, uh, but we didn't want to do that. And and it, we have like a little brother chip on our shoulder, LCMS. Uh, it, we're always kind of wanting to be bigger than we are and kind of sad and frankly grumpy about it, uh, cynical even, uh, on, on every level. And uh, so, so <laughs> sad as I think about it. Um, If we have any hope of surviving together, it means we, we're going to build a culture together that's not a culture war trying to overwhelm a white noise. There's too much noise to overwhelm it. You cannot drink from a fire hose. Try. You can't. Okay? So instead, you have to start a new stream. 
hi, this is my channel. <laughs> you know, and, and you have to, you have to get into a longer form conversation. You got to be able to think about the value of education, meaning progressive thought, So you can read the Bible and understand the paragraphs. Right. Um, and, uh, and build that culture with entertainment and art and beauty and joy and games and fun. And everything revolves around that. And anything that's outside of that, frankly, ain't you. Now, I don't know how we turn that one around from, you know, most families can't get confirmed these days because volleyball practice is in another state <laughs> or whatever, right? Or the game is. Uh, so I, I don't know. What does COVID do to that? That's why I'm not so sure I want the sports back, although I really do. I mean, I miss my Blazers. And I'm not really a huge fan of the NBA wannabe setup they're doing. And frankly, all of their attention to politics and deciding that I'm not their right kind of fan has made me not care as much either. Meanwhile, Portland's burning. So yes, what a, what a time there is no macro culture. There are micro cultures, lots of them. Let's build one. Let's build a good one. Mad Christianity. It's what it is. It is a brand. It is a culture. It is a platform. It is an identity. It is not outside the LCMS, nor is it inside the LCMS. It certainly confesses the same thing the LCMS does on paper. Love to have you on the team, because what we're here to do is help you do more of what you want to do with your faith, art, life, out in your world. And uh, you know, as much as I can just be a catalyst of that in the box— pulling you as a group of people into the sidebar where you actually have community and know each other support and can share ideas using mad Mondays to make that a single voice for all of us every week. So we're seeing our country in a snapshot, our world in a snapshot, and yet not without the lens of the, the word of God. Um, this is not a church body and never shall be Well, God help us know what, what this is, is the mutual consolation of the brethren across a global network. And it's, it's pretty powerful uh, people do this with money and make billions. We're doing it without money to not make money. We're doing it to extend its capacity as much as possible so that mad Christianity is something lots of Christians affiliate with because not me, not us, Jesus. Us the chill is just us the chill waiting for Jesus' return according to the inspired and errant word of scriptures, and we're happy to debate a mind for you to answer your questions about what the Bible says in the meantime. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary, I think. Uh, so for what that's worth, right, you're a part of this, and it doesn't work without you. These questions, look at I, I didn't prep a show this week. I wanted to. I didn't. Instead, I lived on you, and it's you. I, I can't live on my camera, that's for sure, and, and it's you. Here, Jason says this, last one for the morning. I love your Magdeburg discussion with Pastor Coons. You know, we got a lot of comments, including like, best stuff ever. And I'm like, oh, whenever you tell me it's the best ever, it makes me sad about the stuff I did before. <laughs> I pride. Uh, it's really hard. You know, when you want your, and my daughter said this to me this week too. I was talking about why I'm always afraid of going on the show. Friday night's pretty, pretty tense for me. I'm nervous about Saturday morning. I'm a chicken. I'm a coward. Uh, I'm working on it. Uh, but she said, she, uh, oh, I lost it though. She summarized it so very well. Oh, she said, you expect each show to be better than the one you just did last time and therefore always the best show you ever did. And I said, yep. <laughs> and she, no wonder you're a little anxious about it. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Hey, what, a, what, a, uh, uh, what a treat for my daughter to teach me like that. But it's true. It's true. Um, Pastor Kuntz was, is one of my best guests. I mean, I try to only have on guests that are really worth talking to. Um, but Pastor Kuntz has a particular ability to cut through the noise. Yeah? Uh, and being an East Coast raised guy, I think has something to do with that. He's outside LCMS, so he just doesn't have our 
are 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 hicks, uh, and I don't mean like I mean like hiccups, right? Uh, our ticks, our, our twitches. Um, I do, even though you know I, I technically joined the LCMS as a thinking Christian in you know my twenties. I was born and raised in it, so I got a lot of the cultural ticks uh, out of it. Even though I, I wandered in the evangelical sphere for a couple of years as well. Anyway, so Coons, yeah, I'm good. We're gonna have him back. In fact, okay, so I'll come back to this thought. announcement. We'll leave it for later. Uh, you love the discussion on Magdebird. You think the topic of resisting tyranny is very important and right. Yeah, 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 right now. I agree. That's why we talked about it. As fear is gripping the community, but also the church, I think we need to know what we're about when it comes to our freedom. Yeah, it's the truth. Well, I mean, your duty as a Christian is to be a good citizen in the kingdom you're in. And the kingdom you're in says um, the Constitution. And you got to do it. You don't get to say, that's Adiaphora. No, move. <laughs> move to a country where you have a different legal system. And until then, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Which means you should know that constitution. You should pledge allegiance to the flag and you should do all your best to make it the best country you could ever be. And you have more tools here to do it than anywhere else in the world. So I don't know why you'd complain about it. But, well, man, because you're, you're lazy, bored. Honestly, you just had it too easy. It's too easy. You, you just got bored. It's too easy. That's what it is. As fear is gripping the community, but also the church, I think we, yeah, we said that one. A case in point. Our church has respond, has reopened, but they won't let anyone worship without wearing a mask. Oh, it comes up again. Is this legalistic? Um, No. Yeah, I mean, don't think I'm is what you think I'm is. Legalistic means teaching that you're not justified by Jesus if you don't do something. <laughs> so, no, not quite there yet. I, it feels like an imposition that doesn't have a biblical basis. Render under Caesar would be the biblical basis. So when your government says do it, you do it as long as you can do it. If they say do it and you can't do it because God said don't do it, that's different. But there's no Bible verse that says don't wear masks in church when you sing. To you know, It doesn't say that. And so until there's demonstrable evidence from the community locally to convince the community locally that it's all the giant lie – when the government says there's a pandemic that's killing people and we need you to wear masks when you're indoors right now, the church should say, we're going to try our best. Absolutely. And that's what we're doing in my church. We're trying our best. I'm not even sure I believe they work. I really am not because I've just seen too much conflicting information. And But I'm on the front end, I think, in some ways of digging for this. I'm dumpster diving. So I'm in places where who knows if the information is true or not. I don't know. But that's the problem. We don't know. That's what Ben Shapiro says. We just don't know anymore. You can't know. How do you know? But what I do know is this, it is, it is not, it does not require a biblical basis other than your pastor asking you to wear a mask for you to need to wear a mask in church on Sunday. Now, if he says you must wear a mask or you're not a Christian, um, that's a different thing. If he says you must wear a mask or you can't commune today, well, that's how proud are you? <laughs> is what that comes down to. Because if it's for the sake of the community and the safety of the least of these, of whom the weakest conscience is the person who believes sincerely that if you do not have a mask on, you're all going to die. And so she has to have a mask on. He has to have a mask on. So what the community does is you put your masks on and you try to have conversations that secure that person. And maybe someday that person can have a longer conversation about why they don't need masks. Although don't quote me on that because I don't know that that's true or not true. There certainly are movements out there saying you don't, and there certainly are movements out there saying you do, and both say they have science on their side. And so all they do is tweet and shout at each other. And I'm not going to join that fight. But what I will do is I'll think about the least of these and the worst possible ramifications. What is the worst thing that happens if we wear masks for a couple of months? The worst thing that happens is we end up wearing masks the rest of our lives. That's the worst thing that happens. And a totalitarian regime takes over and keeps us all kind of marked, right? Okay, well, maybe it's going to happen. It seems pretty far-fetched at the moment, as much as I like it as an RPG, right? Um, 
It's a fantasy story. Right? I, I can identify with that and it'd be a great movie. I don't know. The next year, a little tough. What's the worst thing that happens if you don't wear masks and you should wear masks? Everybody dies. <laughs> right? Like you become uh, the second wave stage one. And like the news is outside your church saying uh, the whole U.S. has a new version of this because you guys didn't wear masks. Hmm. So which one should you kind of err on the side of right now out of love for the weaker brother? So we're wearing masks. Um, But it, it, you know what? If a congregation doesn't want to wear masks, I'm going to defend you just as much as I defend the congregation wearing masks because it it is adiaphora, which means it must be under render unto Caesar. And it's rendered under Caesar until Caesar says something that is illegal, <laughs> according to God. And it's not illegal to wear a mask. It is illegal to wear a mask to commune. You can't do it. So when you go to church, you got to take it off to commune, and God wins, right? So yay for God. He figured it all out. Take, eat. <laughs> you know? And all the Reformed and all the uh, the radicals and even the Lutherans have just decided for the last, you know, what, 500 years that take, eat was just a thing that just kind of we do. Oh, wait, it's the heartbeat. Yeah. And it's, in fact, a shimmering golden shield that keeps the evil enemy from being able to stop us from being face-to-face with our Lord every Sunday morning, no matter what we do. And we just we just plead freedom of religion. But I can't quite plead freedom of religion to have you sing with a mask off. I'm tempting fate by not wearing one as a pastor right now. Uh, I do not wear a mask. And my advocacy for that, only in the church, I wear it whenever I go anywhere else. But in church, when I'm up front, I don't wear a mask because as pastor, I am the symbol the picture of Jesus. And Jesus would not have a mask on no matter what was going on because he's perfect and his breath would heal you. And so I do not cover that face. I I will not do that. Um, If commanded to do so, I still might not do it. Although you can make the case with an actual science of of the mask that would convince me I have to do that. But that case hasn't been made by any stretch. Um, And if I just say Fauci, it's all I really need to say. He's changed multiple stories now. I mean, and how can anybody know anything then? And that's the problem. When you're in the authority position and you decide it's a good idea to lie for expediency, you just undermine not you, but the position. Ah, you killed the office. You killed the trust. And that's what Fauci did. And it makes it tough to talk about masks. So we have someone like you here who's saying, I don't want to wear a mask and you're making me. Well, no, we're asking you to. I hope your church is asking you to. Does it feel like making? Well, yeah, because you have to to come in. But that's what we've been asked to do. And we're trying to live like Christians and not fear monger. Because I'm not going to run around telling everybody the masks are a big fat lie. And it's all a social imposition to get you to, to, well, actually to help Antifa hide what they're doing, which makes sense. (laughs) Uh, But, but. Christians are, I'm going to say it differently. We don't lose by refusing to go further than what we know. The fear is that if we don't make conclusions above and beyond the word of God and apply them now or else we die. And I mean, without flesh is about that. My other book is not on the wall without flesh. It's about that. But the thing is, if you try to go in and fix it yourself, that's how you die. What the church does is the church slows down every time and says, whoa, what did we change? Let's put it back. <laughs> like, who moved the ark? <laughs> right? Uh, uh, who, who, <laughs> who ate the whey bread? All that stuff. Um, we put it back. And I've talked about some of those things here. I think it's pretty interesting how much change has happened since the 50s from women's suffrage, LCMS, uh, all the way down to transgender dances and things, right? Um, it's all been since a certain amount of time. And if you draw a line... I don't know, 1920s at least, uh, 50s probably. Uh, you draw a line, you go back, and you just undo all the changes publicly we did, and we put ourselves in a pretty amazing spot where we're just with what the Bible says again suddenly. 
And the question is, we've had these soft apologetics against what the Bible says. It's always like, yeah, the Bible says this, but, and then here's these other reasons why, and then we change, right? Well, we destroyed the family is what we did. Um, just like Planned Parenthood is doing to African-American communities, uh, German and Norse and some Italian and some other usually Anglo, but not all, Anglo, but not always uh, communities in the LCMS. Uh, we just stopped having kids, stopped raising kids to keep the kids, sent the kids off to the Googleplex and then wondered what happened. Where'd they go? Why aren't they? Well, at least they go to the big church with the lady preacher in the rainbow, but you know, they love God. Um, that's what happened. Yeah. And uh, are we caving to the tyranny if we wear masks? No. Not yet, at least. No, what you're doing is you're attempting to love your neighbor as yourself and realizing that your justice is secondary to his justice. And whoever is actually a Christian there that morning is in the most fear is the one that you should care about the most. And frankly, while you're angry about wearing a mask, you're not afraid. And the person who's wanting to wear a mask, they're terrified. They're like a little tiny baby animal in a thunderstorm with rain, you know, clawing at your door. Help, help. And you're like, I won't. Because Jesus, <laughs> right? No, put the mask on and sing about Jesus. Do what it takes for them to know you care about their fear and are willing to suffer with them in grace. And then the sufficiency of Christ will bring you to where you need to be. And I'm pretty convinced we're not going to be talking about masks in three months or it's going to be part of life like it is in Asia where, again, the knowledge is not that you wear it everywhere you go. This is, again, the mandate. It's kind of silly. You wear it when you're sick. <laughs> that's, actually, that's the German stuff coming out, right? The last couple of days, I've got a couple of pieces coming out of the kind of middle central Europe. And uh, well, some of them will be in the Mad Mondays newsletter. But uh, what they're finding over there is just the question. It's like, Masks work in preventing you from coughing the disease out, but they don't really stop the disease from getting in. So the reason to wear one is when you're sick, not all the time. It's a pandemic, so do it all the time. Okay, but the studies are showing that might not work as well because it works better if the kids catch it and then they don't get sick from it and then they kill it. And then the antibodies somehow like seem to be shared. And that's the weird thing about it. So you got you to gotta go look at the documents. I don't believe anything. It's all just news to me right now. It's all tabloids. But when you see that stuff coming out of official virology places in Europe, you can't just dismiss it as Trump. <laughs> and if we'd stopped doing that, we'd already have uh, hydroxychloroquine would have saved lives. Respirators would have stopped being used sooner than they were. And frankly, the UV light situation, which is really fascinating and makes perfect sense for, from avoiding colds anyway, and why colds disappear in the, in the summer and come back in the winter is you need UV light because UV light kills viruses. And so you know, just going out in the sunshine, as opposed to staying in your homes all the time, is one of the most important things you can do in all of this. Uh, in, in studying the effects of that, as opposed to, if you listen to everything else, what you got is, here's why it means Biden, here's why it means Trump. And that's what you got to extricate yourself from. It's got to be, here. what does it mean to my wife? What does it mean to my child? What does it mean to my congregation? Who can I trust? Yeah. And for whatever reason, you trust me, which is cool, but stupid. <laughs> and you know what? I say that as a confession of sin. I laugh because it hurts. I'm a man. I crave power. I crave money. Sure. Don't you? I know it's really wrong. I know the love of mammon is the root of all evil. I, yesterday I had a moment of prayer where I thank God. I can't remember what happened. But I remember that something small, small little thing, it like broke and went wrong. And I started to get angry and I had a moment where like, thank God the word of God was there. And it, was, it's, it basically said, um, are you really going to worship mammon right now? <laughs> You know, as I get angry over this thing that's not even that expensive and like let it ruin my, my mental attitude and my joy in Christ. Are you really going to be angry about that mammon right now, Jonathan? 
No, the love of mammon, the love of this life will frustrate and uh, will bring you to despair. Christianity in America has been on a centuries-long love affair with this life. And, and COVID says, hey, there is no this life that you can have a love affair with and it don't hurt. So, um, you know, take a step back on all this. Uh, slow down. Remember that the word is sufficient. Remember that Jesus is risen. Remember that there are two political parties that are run by major conglomerate financial organizations that are global powers that have agendas far superseding the White House itself and really having to do with the movement of mass amounts of money through civilizations, including things like the grain and pharmaceutical trades. These have everything to do with what's going on right now, as well as the industrialization of China and the struggle with China as a communist power against India and the rising nationalism and tribalism you see there and in Britain and in Australia. I mean, it's all over the place, but there's a reason for that. But the thing is, if you're going to persist through this so-called resistance that is really a revolutionary destruction, if you're going to persist, if you're going to retain, you're not going to do it by overreacting, that's for sure. You're not going to do it by shooting from the hip. You're going to do it by training. You're going to train your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus first by, I'm telling you again, I'm going to tell you every week now, when you read the Bible, write it down. Don't copy word for word. Don't you dare. Unless you're going to memorize it, don't copy word for word. Translate it paragraph for paragraph with a single sentence. One sentence makes the paragraph have meaning. And then translate it one more time. And in six months, you will be talking about Jesus in ways you were not expecting now. And you think you're zealous now. Put this one to practice. Put this one to practice. Smart notes. They are, they're from God. They're the way he created our minds to work. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, so uh, read the Bible, write it down. So I said, what, what, you're mad about that? Jeez. Okay. So uh, I have gotten through all of our questions, comments, concerns, uh, and the one donation that came in this morning. Uh, it is now 11 a.m. And we've been on the show for two and a half hours, which I think is pretty good, given that I had absolutely no plan aside from you awesome us, the chill people who threw stuff at me and it landed in front of my face just in time. But of course, you know, the goal is more, the goal is better. Um, I was just talking with my wife yesterday about that side of the room, which is currently set up as our family entertainment area, but I want to have it double as a, a meeting spot for recording uh, long-form podcast and or video TV. You know how Ben Shapiro will get together with like three other guys in a room, do a show like, or like, uh, who is that? Uh, Crowder. I don't, I don't really watch Crowder anymore, but um, you know, Crowder would like do a commentary on a political event while it's happening. Like, like we could do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, fly people in even drive over uh, the, but the idea is I got to do that. So that that requires a lot of stuff in this room. I talked about some of it earlier. The house, we love this house, but the the ceiling is plaster and it's probably about an inch thick of this molded plaster that they painted uh, and um, swirled. It like It's like what this is in my mind. Okay, this is when somebody says, I have a way to do something cheaper than they used to do it. But if we do it cheaper than they used to do it, people are going to look at it and be like, that's so cheap. Why are you doing that? I'm building this house. Build me a nicer house. Um, and they go, oh, well, here, we'll do this. And they like squiggle on it with a with like a, a I don't know, a thing. It's not even like a, a smoothing thing. It's like a non-smoothing thing. They made it look like churned rotten butter with little waves. <laughs> And it covers the whole ceiling, and then you can't put anything into it without it just crumbling. It's not a drywall. You can't use a drywall screw. screw. And i got to hang lights and microphones from this now somehow. <laughs> and you take it apart, and it just goes, it just falls everywhere. We'll see. We'll figure it out. So, But that's why I need you, right? I mean, this camera right here, 
is fantastic. We bought this a couple of weeks ago. I want a second one. I won't ask for you this week, but maybe next week we'll start fundraising for the second one so we can get some over-the-head action going on. I can start showing you stuff on text a little bit easier um, and whatnot. I need, I'm going to need support as I, again, build these things. The lighting obviously is awful today, and until I get the ceiling figured out or have something hang off the wall up here, it's just going to be this bad because of where I am. You know, Somebody sent me these amazing lights. They're really good. I have two of them. I just got to find out how to Get them in here, and I got I got you know another full time job, and then maybe even a half on top of all of this. So remember, this is a bivocational thing. As I do it, not complaining, just wanting you to know where I am because I think you're probably interested in that, right? Uh, and uh, the goal is to get this thing as professional as it can be. In the meantime, in the meantime, I got I got some other news. So a couple weeks ago, Brian Wolfmiller and I started a brand new podcast called Stop the White News. And due to reasons which he will be explaining in a couple of days, I think, uh, if not already on his website, you can find updates on his website. Uh, he's had to back out of that for the moment. So so Stop the White Noise will no longer be with uh, with Brian and I. And I've had some thinking about, okay, so what does that mean? In the meantime, I had also planning to, to launch both of these together along with this. Those are free content. This is subscribe content, right? I promised that I'd do that. Um, and I'm excited about it. Uh, I was going to start two new podcasts, Stop the White Noise with Brian Wolfmuller on the same Mad Christian podcast channel, and, and um, this on Podbean, uh, and then a new one with with, past, uh, with Professor Kuntz. And that one for sure is still going on. So the Stop White, White Noise had a little bit of a U-turn skid go on. Um, but the uh, And this just has to do with processing life, basically, and, and saying yes and no to what you can achieve um, at given times. Uh, but the other one is going to be one with Pastor Kuntz. So every week, Pastor Kuntz and I are going to have an hour-long or so conversation, uh, and it is going to be called A, a Brief History of Power. Uh, and the goal is to study power uh, like we did last week. That was a good introduction to what the show will be like. And then the plan would be to have him pop in on Saturday mornings for 15-minute bursts to kind of comment on stuff. So if you really want to understand Kuntz when he comes in for the short Saturday morning stuff, you'll want to listen to A Brief History of Power as we launch that in the next two or three weeks. So you're going to have a couple of things coming out of Mad Christianity in terms of production every week to, to be ready for. You got the Mad Mondays newsletter, you got the YouTube show on Saturday mornings, you got the republished YouTube short stuff on... Um, my brain's not working, uh, uh, on YouTube throughout the week, which hopefully will eventually get pushed into other media, more like uploading to Twitter and stuff. We just don't have all the pieces in place to make the flow happen for that yet. Um, so you got all that, but now you're also going to get two brand new podcasts, A Brief History of Power with Fisk and Koontz, although I think we're going to call it A Brief History of Power with two white guys, because um, why not? <laughs> uh, and uh, And then the other one is now uh, to go back to Stop the white noise, which is about information management, because that's just what I love to do. It's why this is here. It's, you know, you get it with me. I'm sorry. It's my life goal is how to manage information uh, successfully because it makes me feel good uh, to like understand. Um, it's weird. <laughs> it's the gifts that come together to make me do what I do, though. Um, but who to join me in that conversation? Uh, Wolf Miller, he also has, a, has a, a knack for hacking work, right? And so we were going to go that direction. I'm I'm glad to announce I have a replacement. It took me three days. I thought it would take longer, but it all hit me in a moment because you've asked for this. We've done it before, and it makes sense. There's somebody else in my life who knows more about communication, media ecology, and information management than I do. There are things I could teach her, and there's a lot I can learn from her. There's my wife. Her name's Meredith. And we've done a podcast on parenting before. I've done a podcast alone on parenting before with issues, etc. Uh, we are of one mind on things, but 
what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting the podcast, uh, Stop the White Noise, again, uh, with both of us together, Meredith and I. And it will be on information management and communication communication theory. It will be on family systems and psychology. It's going to be about men being men, women being women, and how we raise villages together that don't destroy us. Yeah. Um, and I'm really looking forward to these conversations. So I hope Stop the White Noise, even though losing Wolfmuller temporarily at least, uh, is it hurts because I man, that was gonna be good. Like physical Wolf Miller on the same podcast, how could that be good? But um well you get you get on how to bill her, Meredith. Uh you get Meredith. Meredith is a a treasure trove and, and if you gotta give this one one listen. You you won't stop. You won't stop. It'll be in your bonus cast uh, information or bonus cast content. If you're already subscribed to the Podbean channel, you're going to get it. It'll show up. You just click on it when it does. If not, you got to subscribe to that channel or go to riffist.com where everything usually gets reposted. We try our best to do that. Um, blah, 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 blah. So that's the news on those fronts. We had a couple of super chats come in. Oh, that was not one of them. Steve Briner says, love old and new fist channels. Thank you that. So old being worldview everlasting, uh, you know, a brand, an idea that, that just uh, well, I, I can tell the story again real quickly. Ultimately, from my point of view, you know, what happened there was that we weren't ready for the nonprofit. We were and we weren't. I mean, there was a lot of work that was done. It wasn't done wrong or anything like that. But in terms of capacity, in terms of bivocation and having to carry full-time jobs while doing what we were taking on, it, the stress load was more than, than we were able to manage, certainly than I was able to manage. And when there were some other idiosyncrasies that came into play in terms of future direction for the organization, and uh, we, we just all realized uh, effectively uh, that the, the nonprofit existing as it did was was going to stop us all from doing what we actually wanted to do. And so we mutually agreed, and this would have been at the time, you know, Wolf Mueller, uh, Matt Richards, uh, Peter Slade and I, we all mutually agreed that uh, then the best thing to do for all of us, sad and hard as it was going to be, was to just to dissolve it and all go do our own thing. And so that's what happened. And the sad thing was that in that, I lost a lot of momentum with, with YouTube. There was a lot of momentum built that isn't here now in the algorithms, and we're going to slowly build it back up, and that's all fine. But um, I'm glad you still like it. I'm glad that content's still there. There's no reason to look with shame upon the past of Worldview Everlasting. It is a. It was what I learned, or the the avenue in which I learned to do what we're going to do with Mad Christianity. I, I learned. I learned the error or the danger of institutionalizing too soon and how that gets in the way of the movement. And so what you really want to do if you're going to start a movement like Mad Christianity, which is to stand against the powers of darkness in the present age and not wallow on the ground with those who have no hope because we know the Bible and Jesus is coming back. If you're going to do that, you need to not let the institution destroy the movement before the movement even gets going. <laughs> and the reason, that's why I've privatized, right? Or we've privatized this thing. And uh, that's where you do have to trust me to some extent. But the good news is that you have to trust me as far as what I say to you here, and then you can check me as a giant community. It's really easy to do. So you just keep shouting back at me because I can't ignore what happens, <laughs> right? Uh, but but um, there's going to be a give and take of relationship in this, in this, what is it? Fandom? Fanocracy? There's a book out there called Fanocracy. I still haven't become comfortable with the term of having fans. Um, what, what does it mean? But what we are, what we are is a bunch of Christians who know we need leadership, and I'm like, hey, well, I'll I'll go this way, and and you're all like, well, okay, we're coming with you, and I'm gonna every one of you that comes along, I'm like, you're a leader, I'm gonna say, well, help this group over here, do this over here, and it's so fun to watch the network already doing this, um, the contacts that are getting made, is we're gonna need our own our own app, I swear, I mean, Yamabe, if you're listening, I mean, you're managing the Mad Network on Mighty Networks, hey, how good is that? And at what point do we need our own right, our own Slack channel for Mad Christianity? I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. It's all fun to think about. Thank you, Steve, for your support in that and the old channel as well. I enjoyed it. Uh, Darth Mix says this. 
Trust not in rulers, amen. They are but mortal earthborns. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Uh, they are and soon decay. Oh, I need to fix that. I wrote a note. It'll happen by next week, I hope. Uh, they soon decay. Vain are their counsels at life's portal when the dark foe consumes its prey. That's, that's poetry right there. Probably him, I imagine. I don't know that one, though. Um, really good. Uh, the race does not always go to the swift, nor the, uh, nor the something to the strong, but time and chance take us all. It's Ecclesiastes. Um, all men fail you, and I will fail you. President Harrison said he'd fail you. I, I rewatched, uh, the, what was it? Trinity. There's two different old videos, World of Everlasting Days, from a trip we took from Philadelphia to Issues Etc., uh, to my parents' house. We shot off fireworks. We went on a boat, and I went to the International House of Prayer, which apparently went out of business because I got sued by IHOP, the pancake place, I guess. Used to, like, almost run Lee's Summit, which is still called Lee's Summit, by the way. I did not lose its name yet in the last couple of weeks. I was curious while I was there if, if it would uh, recently. But uh, I want to watch those old videos because it's like there's a bunch of stuff of my kids doing fireworks early on and we were all like, oh, we watched it all again. But part of it is that's also the time when the uh, the election of Matthew Harrison to president for the first time uh, over uh, sitting president Gerald Kieschnick uh, happened. And I was pretty happy about that myself at the time. Um, Harrison gave some amazing words when he he accepted the mic and it was interesting because you could see president Kieschnick, who I don't know personally, I've met him once. Uh, you could see his stunning pain. Um, he handled himself magnificently, by the way, Kieschnick, uh, and Harrison did as well. Uh, Trump and Biden would not be like this. I think, um, Harrison came up though. And, and he said a number of things that were all hurting, which is true. So even, even the victors were all in pain. And he said, I'm going to fail you, but I'm not going to lie to you. So, well, we'll let the Judgment Day figure that one out for him and us all. But the goal of leadership is just that, right? And for that reason, thank you for Matt Harrison, dear Jesus, and Lord preserve his soul. Um, the goal is just that of any leader, any pastor. You just got your father in your household, your spouse. They're going to fail you. They're going to they're gonna lie or invert the truth, confuse it, think you lied? How do you work through that together? Let me suggest that if we're going to build a culture which wants to do that, it begins by not voting on things that we disagree about. <laughs> you know, let's talk it out. Um, and uh, uh, I got a story in that, but I'll save it for another time. Uh, let's talk it out. And we exist here for that purpose. The comments exist here for that purpose. The newsletter exists here for that purpose. My responding to your comment, my show was you today. Mad Christianity is not me. Us the chill. Us the chill. It's you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, I need the support on Patreon if you can afford to do it. I lost a one of you $20 supporters uh, in this last month. And you feel that because that's 80 bucks a month. I mean, think of what that would do to your budget when it went away. So uh, that's, that's the level we live at. Um, and uh, so if you, if you haven't yet chimed in on Patreon to subscribe to this show, just a buck 25 per show adds up to five bucks a month, give or take over the course of the year. And it's, it's really not much out of your budget and makes a big difference in mine. So also lets me move toward all the other stuff I got to start start buying for you. Thank you for tuning in. You all rock because what really happens after this is hopefully you've taken some notes and you're going to go translate those notes into yourself. It's going to turn into your thoughts, which will become your words and you're going to change the world. So have no fear of them. Uh, the world should be afraid of you. Do not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. I should be looking at over here, but I can't because I have to look over here. Uh, oh, command nine. 
Do not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Lift up your eyes. The day is fast approaching and he is bigger. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? (laughs) 